You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. So what's up, man? So uh, for the people, obviously, that maybe don't don't know you, I mean, we do, as we were getting a time to wrap it, it's always nice to talk to another NFL player, especially another offensive lineman who played the game as you should. So I'm excited to get into some of that stuff, but yeah. uh, can you talk a little bit about how you got here, a little bit on the history, because uh, that to me is always amazing to hear the origin story. Absolutely, man. Um, take it way back. I was born in New York City, lived in Brooklyn until I was 10 years old. Parents got divorced when I was seven. Mom moved my brother and I out to L.A. At some point in there, around seven or eight years old, I was at my grandparents' house in Connecticut watching the late morning summer news and the Jets and the Giants came on in training camp and I thought to myself that's what I want to do when I grow up um, there was a lot of a lot of chaos in my childhood a lot of alcoholism um, a lot of mental health issues a lot of darkness a lot of it was just it was very chaotic and so I saw football as this vehicle for me to transcend those circumstances and my mom would never let me play. Finally, going into my freshman year of high school, with the help of my dad, convinced her to let me play football. And it was, we were talking about it just a second ago. It was this outlet for me to just unleash this rage inside of me onto other people and be celebrated for it. And I initially went out and tried out for quarterback desperately wanted to be quarterback and the coach came up to me after one or two days of summer practice he said Eb, you you could have a really bright future as an offensive lineman i said really fuck that i don't know man <laughs> but eventually i said okay and i just totally fell in love with it and it was this straight line rocket ship to the moon because I saw it in my mind's eye. I visualized it. And every day I woke up and I just carried myself as this warrior. I ate, I trained, I breathed, I lived as this gridiron gladiator. And that was how, who I was and what I was. And everything I did was in alignment with achieving this dream of making it to the NFL. So around, I don't know what it was junior year going into junior year started getting all the scholarship offers and that was that was really as you i'm sure can relate john it's and tex too i'm sure a d3 no scholarships but (laughs) no scholarships i've heard john talk about it (laughs) you know you start to get those scholarships and and this thing starts to really materialize this it becomes real it becomes so real and this idea of i'm Someone is going to pay for me to go to college, get an education, get a degree, and pay me to basically play football. That's exactly what my dad said to me. Yeah. He's like, so wait a minute. Let me get this straight. They're going to pay you to go to college and get a degree? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And he was like, holy, this is fucking amazing. Yeah, this is a fucking game changer. And looking back now, I see even more, you know, seeing how many people are in debt, 
had to take out loans to go through college and I have none of that. I'm like, what a fucking blessing that was. Unbelievable. And uh, uh, where'd you go to college? I went to the University of Arizona. So you went to, oh, smart motherfucker. <laughs> I had no vision of becoming an NFL player. Uh-huh. So I chose to go to the hardest school I could because I wanted the best degree on my wall. So that's why I went to Berkeley. If I had known I was going to play for a decade in the NFL, I would have totally gone to Arizona, Arizona State. I love that. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, When I was in the NFL, we had a guy, um, the best friend of my roommate, uh, he played for the Cardinals. Mm. And he came out. uh, He went to Ivy League and played. Uh, We went out there and visited him. And I was like, like, I've never in my life seen this many pretty girls like partying. Like Berkeley was not like this. Uh And I was like, fuck, I totally (laughs) chose the wrong school. Well, Cal was one of the schools that was after I had committed to Arizona. Where, uh, where were you living in Southern California? Uh, Burbank. In Burbank, out in the valley. In the valley, yep. Yeah. And um, going to John Burroughs High School, committed to Arizona. I had every school in the Pac-10. I had Oklahoma, LSU, Tennessee, and Cal and Oklahoma till the end, <laughs> even after uh, committing to Arizona. They were still on, you. on me. Yeah. And Mike Stoops, who was my head coach at Arizona, God bless him, love Mike. Um, he had to call both coaches up and say, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Because <laughs> at that time, and unfortunately, Arizona's had, uh, you know, some stumbles along the way after Mike really built him into a pretty solid program while I was there. Um, but we were coming out of, that was a 10-year drought, no bowl games at the U of A. Sure. After the Desert Storm area oh, era, yeah. oh yeah, Teddy, no, uh, Teddy, Rob, Rob Waldorf, yeah, I Rob mean, Waldorf, like I mean, dude, just, I, uh, yeah, I you mean, know the, those guys. Oh yeah, I mean the flex defense. Yes, I mean, uh, yeah, there were some savages oh. on there, dude. Uh, probably the scariest thing, though, you know. I mean, we we game plan the entire off season for them. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Because, I love that. Because the flex defense was so unconventional, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and then they had such a monster defensive tackle. So it was like you either run at the flex or you go into Rob's jaws. I mean, it was. <laughs> They were good players, and then who was also on that team was um, it was it was Brewski, Rob Waldrop, and uh, they had one other guy that was another pretty good player, Freaky Hunley. Yeah, it, yeah, it he was might like, have been a little older, but yeah, there was. I know not a star was was Wendler on that team. Uh, Jim Wendler was on that team. Yeah, when we had him on the podcast, I don't know. I think he was a fullback. He was a fullback. He was but... a fullback. Uh, you know, I mean, fullback such a weird position because uh, like they don't, they don't even have that. I mean. I, know. I was watching the NFL yesterday, and I, like I might have seen one play where they put a tight end as H back. Yeah, San Francisco's yeah got him rolling. But. I mean, but but yet if you wanted a fullback, uh, it was pretty much Tony Richardson who who I played with at the Chiefs. I mean, yeah, Tony was like everybody's fullback. He like went to the Jets. He played like you know fifteen, sixteen years as a fullback. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a bummer that position has has died out. Well, they it'll come back. Well, they had to. Yeah. Just because they don't ram the ball down anymore. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's because, I mean, the, uh, you know, um, uh, God, I'm totally going to forget his name. Uh, Kevin Turner, who I uh-huh. played with, who, who was like, Past. Oh, yeah, rest yeah. in peace. He was the old vet when I came into the Eagles mm. and watching KT go through the hole and watching linebackers fill on him and the collisions were like uh, nothing I've ever seen to this day. Uh-huh. And that guy fucking brought it. Yeah. And, um, you know, ended up passing away from ALS. And to say that, like, those hits didn't play a part in the whole thing is just uh, dishonors his memory. Uh-huh. But uh, I will tell you, that guy was one of the best people, like, nicest dudes I ever met and played the game 
and and for me, and I know we were talking about this, like there's a respect for people that played the game the way they should have played the game yeah. and the way that I viewed it to be played. Yeah. And, uh, fuck all the accolades, the Hall of Fame, all that other shit. There's people in the Hall of Fame that didn't play the game the way I thought they should have. And there's yeah. people that'll never make it that, that you know, that played it. So Absolutely. It's, uh, and, and I think what's cool in the NFL is uh, people know. Mm-hmm. If you did the job, there's no fucking snowballing the people that did the job. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. So Arizona had an incredible time. Great career, captain, All-American, all the stuff. Did my thing there. Ended up leaving a year early. I was a redshirt junior. We won the Vegas Bowl, beat the shit out of BYU. So really came and, and accomplished what I what I set out to do when I came there was getting Arizona back to a bowl game. I wanted to be a part of that team. And uh, we did that. Went into the NFL draft 2009, got drafted by the Jags, 39th overall. Went to Jacksonville, played there for four years, started at right tackle, got moved to left guard, had a handful of pretty bad injuries, had a bad back injury, herniated disc, L5-S1, which just wreaked havoc on my sciatic nerve, shut down, a lot of atrophy in my right leg. Um, had, had shoulder surgery my second year while battling the back injury and... Um, Ended up having back surgery the following year when we were after the lockout. Mm-hmm. Came back from the lockout, went straight into training camp. And I'd had shoulder surgery the year before. Had the shoulder fixed, but the sciatic nerve was still a mess. So Jack Del Rio, the head coach, it was basically the end of the first week of training camp, said, Eb, we, we really need you this year. We need you at your best, so... I'm going to suggest you just go have surgery. At that point, I'd had a handful of epidurals. Didn't do anything. Just like putting a Band-Aid. It, it wasn't even a Band-Aid, sure. honestly. Um, so he said, Ev, I think you should just go have surgery, get it done, get it cleaned up, and come back and get ready to roll. You mean get the back cleaned? Yeah, get the back fixed. So I did that. Came out of surgery, could have burst into tears because it felt like somebody had pulled this piece of glass out of the electrical circuit board Mm. of my body. Like I didn't realize, I think when you have an injury like that, that is not only a physical issue, but it's affecting your nervous system every single day. And you're just walking around in this low hum of fight or flight constantly. Sure. And you're, because you're in so much pain, you don't realize how exhausting that is and how much that wears you out. So when I came out of surgery and there was no pain anymore, I felt like a newborn baby. I was like, oh my God, this was the best thing I've ever done. So come out of surgery, fly back to Jacksonville, start the rehab. Um, I'm back on the field. This was the second week of training camp. So I'm back on the field. on It It was a very quick recovery. And this, the surgeon who was a f- former collegiate athlete, guy, Dr. Brigham up in North Carolina. He actually passed away um, since. But he was like, Ed, don't baby this. Get on it. Start strengthening your back, strengthen your legs, hit the Stairmaster. And I just fucking did it. I was just pounding sand every day. I'm fucking in there, busting my ass, getting stronger. And I was back in the starting lineup by week three. Shit moved into I'd moved they had moved me to left guard because the guy who came in to start for me at right tackle was doing a good job we didn't really have a left guard sure my coach Andy Heck you know Andy yeah real well love Andy Andy looked at me came in 
him and Jack actually came in. They said, Eb, you know, when you were coming out of college, we looked at you, we thought you could be an all-pro left guard. So what do you think about moving there? I said, sounds fun. Sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed playing left guard dramatically left guard. more than right tackle. <laughs> left guard was became my favorite yeah. spot. Just hold down the A-gap and fuck dudes up. Yeah, it's perfect. Ex- exactly. I was like, okay. So I came in. I'm literally having the best year of football I've ever had. Kicking ass. Just fucking dominating. And we had just played the Bengals. I had three plays in a row in that game where I pulled around the, the edge and chopped these linebackers in half for long <laughs> runs. Offensive coordinator on Monday came in and was like, yeah, you're looking like the fucking all pro that we all know you could be. And we're going to play Pittsburgh the next week. I wake up in the hotel room Sunday morning and I can barely get up. My back is completely seizing up. And I think to myself, fuck it, I'll be okay. I'll, you know, I'll pop a pill. I'll get in the training room. I'll do, I'll little get contrast. It. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get the contrast. Yeah. I'll get warmed up. I'll be good to go by game time. And it just got worse. It got, by the time I got to the training room, I got right on the table, had my dude heat pack, Theragun, just yeah. working it out. He worked on me for about 45 minutes. I tried to push myself up off the table. Couldn't get up off the table because my back is totally spasmed. Still, I'm thinking to myself, I'll be fine. Let me get a couple stretches. I walk over to my locker, lay down on my back, start doing my stretches, close my eyes, open my eyes. There's Jack Del Rio, Andy Heck, our offensive coordinator, Dirk Cutter. They're looking down on me. They go, Eb, can you go today? And I'm like, yeah. And I tried to get up, couldn't get up off the floor. They're like, all right, Eb, you're sitting that you're sitting out today. So basically at that time I thought, did I crack my hip? I can't really I don't know what's happening. I took that game off, watched from the sidelines, they plugged in, and I was actually gonna start back at right tackle that game. And so they gave me the next week off and they said, Ed, maybe we hurried you back. You've been kicking ass. You know, let's just give you a little time off. Um, Did a couple MRIs. Nothing really came up, but it wasn't getting better. Mm -hmm. And uh, after basically the next week, so I'd taken the week off, did an MRI. Nothing came up. Came back the next week. It was still not good. Nothing was improving. And even came in to watch film the following week. Parked my car in the player's lot. I'm walking through the player's lot and my back spasms so bad I'm brought to my knees and I had to have a couple guys literally walk me into the training room. Mm. Did another MRI the next day and it turns out I had an infection in the disc. This is 11 weeks after surgery. Had an infection in the disc. They start me on eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics. Was it uh, staph? It wasn't staph. It was a very low virulent bacteria. It was the same bacteria that causes acne. Oh. Um, did I mean from? Was it from the surgery? Well, or do, do do they know? I think I know, and uh, it's you know, uh, frankly, it was it. It was mishandled in, in the first couple of days of coming back from the surgery and yeah. just getting into a pool too fast. Yeah. You know, 
and I'm a 22-year-old kid at that time. And sure. What am I going to say? You know, yeah. okay, we're going to tape it up and seal it up, and I guess that's good enough, you know. Yeah. Um, so my season's over. Eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics. I lose like 30 pounds. Which absolutely fucking destroys you. Yeah. The team gets sold. Head coach gets fired. I was, one morning, I, I was just like, they actually just had me stay home Yeah. from that point on. Well, which is what they do because they don't want, they don't want the other players seeing yeah. sick and injured players. Like when I toured my, um, when I ruptured my patella tendon, they were like, hey, uh, I'm like, hey, what time should I be at meeting? They're like, we want you to show up at 10 o'clock. Yes, exactly. And so I couldn't show up before 10. Just come into the training room. room. <laughs> and then they were like, hey, don't go, don't walk in the front door if you have to. Yeah. I'm like, you fucking assholes. <laughs> and know. then it was like, I had to hang out in there. And then all of a sudden when they went to the, out to practice, now you can go out to the watch film. It was, yeah. They, yeah. You know how it yeah. is. Which is a super alienating experience as a player. Because <laughs> yeah. for me, this was my family. These were my brothers. Coaches were like, you know my my father figures honestly and I really looked up to all these people and gave everything I had I would have fucking killed myself on the field for that for those guys yeah. and so to have this experience of first that very isolating alienating experience of being like you know you need to just stay at home and come in at 10 and just come into this training room and you know, so I bust my ass. I work my ass off. We get the, the infection cleared out of there. I work my way back. I mean, I missed the rest of that season, but getting ready for the following season. We've got a new head coach. There's new team ownership. The whole thing has been fucking totally blown up. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> frankly, it was it was like oil and water. I don't know. At that point, now I'm I'm going into my fourth year. It's a contract year. Got a new head coach. Who, for whatever reason... Who is the new head coach? Mike Malarkey. That's right. That's right. Malarkey. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to... like I, uh, uh, The Jags are such a black hole for me because they're so fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. That, like, uh, when you said Jack Del Rio, I was, like, trying to, like... And then they sold to the president, the con dude. Shad Khan, yeah. Yeah, and, like, what a fucking terrible organization. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it, yeah. honestly. Well, I mean, the um, I was very fortunate to play for the Eagles and the Chiefs, which are two pretty good organizations. Yeah. And I have friends that went to go play for Cincinnati and some of these other teams. And, like, you, you oh, realize yeah. very quickly that there's different tiers. Yes. And there's a reason that certain teams win. I, I told Tex, like, for me, the, the biggest one was the food. Food. Like, the food at, at, the, at the Eagles our first year was awful. Andy likes to eat, so they fixed that. Our food was, like, magic. Like you walked in every day, it was the most. It was the most amazing thing. I was like speeding to work because I wanted to eat, and then like the the guy they hired comes over. He's like, "Hey, if there's anything you want me to cook for you when you leave, I'll bring it." So I would like bring him steaks and roasts and like this. The guy like bought a smoker to cook shit for me, and he's like, fucking amazing. "Here's your turkey when you leave." And I was like, <laughs> "Like I, I like I am so simple. Like uh, uh, if somebody cooks for me and it's good, like I'll fucking." walk on hot, hot glass for you. you know? I love that. And, uh, and then when I went to, when I got traded to Kansas city, uh, the food was like cold cuts and was awful. <laughs> and I was like, <sighs> who was the head coach then? Uh, Dick Vermeule. Oh, okay. So I played, how was Dick? Um, Dick was, a really interesting dude. I liked him a lot as a uh -huh. person. Um, but there was one problem in every meeting. He would tear up like, like fight the tears every time, every day. Interesting. Right. I mean, tears sometimes but are he powerful. Never shed, but he would get welted, but no tear came out. So it was as if he had no tear ducts or it was fake. 
Uh-huh. So if he just shed <laughs> one tear to the point where like people would be like, it's coming, it's coming. And then like people would like look. They'd be like, did you see a tear? <laughs> like we never once saw his eyes. He'd be like, oh, you guys. And never glistened. And we, we, we were like, maybe he doesn't have tear ducts. Maybe this. And like I remember leaving and one of the guys was like, if that motherfucker would just shed a tear, we'd win the Super Bowl. Oh my and, uh, God. But, but I, I always liked him a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, I... He he did some shit that uh, I think was 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 really not very smart. Like, um, and I'll just give you some of the negatives. He had a stat dude, who uh, like he would bring this dude in who crunched like mm. historic numbers uh-huh. over twenty years. Teams that are you know on the road with one takeaway up by four points win ninety seven percent of the games. Mm. So he would give us all these stats and yeah. Dick thought it was great. The only problem was. During the game, if all of a sudden one of those stats went, like if we gave the ball away at home and we were down by four, people were like, oh, 97% of the time we lose this game. We're in the fucking tank. <laughs> to the point where I finally told him, I was like, stop with these fucking stats. These young guys are going in the tank the minute the shit doesn't go well because you're giving them these fucking numbers. Yeah. I would go in there and I even told him, tell the motherfucker to lie. <laughs> you know, like just give us lies. It doesn't matter. So yeah. he, he thought it was great to give these guys information. The problem is... Not everybody's cerebral enough to realize this. Like he's trying to give us information and guys are pretty emotional. Uh And I think for like the cast of emotional people, like giving them that information was not intelligent. Uh Um, And then the other one, uh, you know, they were, I mean, I guess like every team, um, you know, here's the game plan. And uh, I didn't, you know, I was very fortunate to play with Will Shields and Willie Rofe and some really good players. I mean, Will especially, Casey Wigman, Brian Waters. Uh, guys that had a ton of mileage underneath our belts. So, uh-huh. like, you know, and... Um, was Jordan Black there? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yeah, he was... I'll, I'll give you a good Jordan Black story. Um, I love Jordan. Jordan was uh, was our young guy. Uh-huh. Uh, was uh, trying to fucking find his way in the world. And I think as he matured... I, I mean, I'm amazed. Like, I didn't think he was going to get 10 years. Yeah. When he was a young guy, I, I figured he was... In and know, out. In and out. Uh-huh. And uh, we, he had a, a pretty bad experience uh, playing against Dwight Freeney in, in the playoffs. Uh-huh. But ended up going on and being a solid player. Yeah. He was a great – he was another guy. I was telling you, they brought Trey in and they brought Jordan Black in. <laughs> and Jordan really – and I, he was a huge influence for me. Just as like – you know, you need – as a young guy coming into the league, you need – yeah. veterans yeah. who can just show you the way yeah. learn how to be a professional that's it man learn yeah. how to be a professional learn how to take care of yourself learn that this is a business learn how to navigate that world because it's fucking crazy man. Yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls, you know uh, and then a lot of uh, pitfalls mm-hmm. but yeah jordan was a young guy um and that's a great group, man. Yeah, no, I, I was very fortunate. Um, I played on, you know, for the Eagles. I think one of, you know, we were super successful, one of the best lines. And I got a chance to go start on probably the best line in pro football history that's with amazing. Willie, uh, you know, Brian Waters, you know, uh, Will Shields and Casey Wigman and, yeah. you know, Jason Dunn, Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, it's so, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, those guys. But what was what was interesting was when I was in Philly, uh, they asked us a little more input. You know, especially me, they'd be like, hey, this is what, you know, like, mm. you, like, hey, we're, we're going to run the ball. You know, where do you see stress points? And so I felt like I had a little bit more input uh-huh. uh, on things. And there were certain things that I did well against other people and they knew we could do things. And so I felt like uh, more part of like the game plan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I thought that was important yeah. because, um, you know, I mean, you guys are watching it. I'm in the middle. And I right. think like when I went to the Chiefs, it wasn't like that at all. Uh. I mean, we had guys that were fucking in the hall of fame and there was no 
you know, here's the film, do this, and guys were, and then all of a sudden, during the game, shit's not going well, and they're fucking pissed off, screaming and yelling, mad as fuck, and I, and I always remember thinking, like, if you included us, I mean, yeah, like, like, so, here's my thing, like, once you, we go into live bullets, like, yeah, it's just fucking, like, I don't want to get coached, yeah. I don't need you coming over, drawing a bunch of shit, just fucking give me the game plan, show me the fucking clips, and let me go out and play, yeah, and those guys would get super fired up on the side, like, this isn't fucking working, and I'm like, well, yeah, we know it's not gonna fucking work, because these guys <laughs> didn't ask our input on the fucking, on, uh, in the game plan, yeah, so that was a little frustrating, yeah, I, I, w- I would have liked a little more input on how we were gonna run the ball and do certain things, uh-huh. just because, I mean, shit, you got some of the best guys in the world, and they didn't include us, so I mean, that was kind of a negative a little bit uh-huh. but um, you know we had a lot of good players and like what was wild is as good as we were we didn't fucking win uh-huh. whereas I felt like we were not nearly as talented in Philly and won a hell of a lot more games interesting yeah that's so funny yeah Jordan was a, was one of our young guys I remember Jordan was married uh-huh. and his wife actually went away went to go visit her family so he was a, uh, I invited him to go out with us uh-huh. and uh, he got he, he went out and had way too many drinks uh, I think he went home and vomited everywhere tried to tell his wife it was me which was ridiculous and uh, his wife was so nervous that she was going out with us because it was like Jason Dunn and Tony and me and like we used to just fucking go out pretty hard and so we brought Jordan who had never been out with us and I think his wife was probably fucking like petrified that we were gonna like get him into more trouble. But yeah, he didn't sure. need any trouble getting out of uh, himself. <laughs> I love that. Dude. And what's wild was he was not a weight room guy at all. Uh huh. And then you know now I'm friends with him on social, and he's like lifting weights with these kids, and I always want to be like, hey motherfucker. <laughs> You're fucking stronger today in your fucking late 30s than you were in your fucking 20s. I couldn't even get you near the fucking weight room That's in your 20s. Hilarious. And then he became like a weight room guy later on. Well, I think we all have to, don't we? At some point. Shit, I, uh, um, you know, I squatted 600 before I was 19. I benched 500 Crazy. when I was 22. You know, I mean, I, you know, was always super strong yeah. and, uh, you know, played myself and like strength was always the platform on which I played, uh-huh. you know, I was going to, anybody I was going to go against, that, that was the platform I was standing on, mm-hmm. you know, they might've been bigger and stronger, more athletic, but nobody was going to hit harder or be stronger than me. Yeah. And that was kind of the way I locked people down. I love that. You know, so I love that, but I'm, I'm glad to know Jordan evolved into, cause I mean, I, I like when I saw, like, watched his career go, and I was like, holy shit, dude. He's actually kind of become a solid player. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, no. Good dude. But, yeah, that's hilarious that, that you brought Trey in. Bro, Trey and Jordan. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I was telling you earlier, Trey never learned his fucking place. Yeah. Which was so frustrating for me. Yeah. John, what are we doing? What do we do? What do we do? How do we fucking play? And I'm like, <laughs> and then the problem was we would do dummy calls, and he'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm like. It's a dummy <laughs> call, bro. It's a dummy call. Oh, wait, hold on. I got the dummy. Oh my God, Trey! He was so big, uh, He's I, I, gigantic. Human. So six eight, like three hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, he had like a six eleven wingspan. Yeah. So I, I remember when I came in as a rookie, I was playing tackle, and they kept showing me all this film, and it was of Trey and these fucking mutants. And I remember finally like raised my hand. I'm like, Do you have any like six foot five white dudes <laughs> that maybe aren't fucking with twelve foot wingspans? And uh, they were like. Oh, yeah. And so they showed me, like, it was like Gary Zimmerman, John Lache- uh, Jim Lachey, um, uh, Jumbo Elliott, and like, started like a bunch of dudes that looked like me. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, this is how they play. I'm going to play that way. And I remember Juan, who Castillo was our offensive line coach, like, brain bombed him. He was like, that's so smart. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Juan was a defensive guy. So he probably learned a lot working with you guys. Yeah, he was a linebacker. Yeah, uh, and then he they, they brought him over because he was the assistant when um, 
Juan oh. told me he I I reminded him a lot of you too. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's good. Yeah. No, Juan. Uh, I loved Juan. He uh, great. Uh, die on the sword for you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was a great dude. I mean, still is. Uh, but he's actually at. I want to say he's at Washington now, because he's he's coaching tight ends. Because we had uh, who do we have on the pod? Logan Paulson. Yeah, Logan Paulson, mm. who's in the media. He ran into Juan, and Juan called me, and we've been playing phone tag. So I figure I'll call him back at the end of the season. But you know, Juan was great. Um, he was so when uh, it was Bill Callahan was the offensive line coach of the Eagles. Uh-huh. Juan was their quality control guy and kind of worked him way his way into an assistant. And then when Andy left, he basically made him his offensive line coach. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love the family tree, man. Oh, football family tree. Well, yeah. that uh, that first staff that I had with the Eagles is pretty much the coaching cradle. Yeah, I mean, our, our you know, last night I'm watching it's uh, uh, Chiefs versus Bills. Yeah, so it's uh, Andy and all these guys, and Sean McDermott was our quality control coach. Spags, Steve Spagnola was our, our DBs coach, and like I'm looking at the sideline, and I know every one of their coaches. Yes, yeah. they were all came out of that same uh, same Kansas City uh, or uh, Philadelphia Eagles staff. Yeah, yeah. Um. It's amazing how that happens. So you have this low-level grade inflammation. You're in this kind of weird new ownership, new team, and all of a sudden you're not their guy. Yeah, shit just falls apart. And then first game of the year too. I have a guy. I'm playing left guard. Get a guy. We're playing. We're up in Minnesota. Guy gets thrown into my left ankle. Low high ankle sprain. Nice. I can't push off the fucking my left foot. The <clears throat> team docs say. Three to four week recovery. The second opinion doc goes, Eb, you're lucky you don't need surgery. This is like a six week recovery minimum. I'm working my ass off to get back as I do. I'm literally leaving a rolfing session and I get a call from the head coach, Mike Malarkey. And he's, he's not so subtly suggesting that I'm trying to milk the injury. Oh. To take more time off. Did he call you a malinger? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's Texas' favorite word. It's a great the word. malinger. The malinger? Yeah. Uh, he didn't call me that, but it was just, it was a very, once again, it was this very isolating, alienating experience relationship with him. I used to chew a lot of tobacco during my football career, and uh, he would always have a comment about it. I'd have a big chew in my mouth going out to walkthroughs, and he'd be like, yeah. You know, I used to dip and that shit's terrible for him. Like, I know it's terrible for you, man, but I'm just, this is where I'm at right now. Yeah. And it was just like every... I, I have a hard time taking a coach named Malarkey. Exactly. Fucking uh, serious. Seriously. I'd be like, uh, my dad used to say, hey, that, you know, that guy's full of Malarkey. Yeah. Like that was like a 1950s fucking saying. So a coach, well, yeah, he's full is, of shit. Yeah, it is his name. Yeah. And it's I, very fitting. It's, yeah. not, it, it, it's not just a fancy name. It's also a, a yeah, fitting personality. Exactly. So basically, I come back from that. They rush me back. I'm, we're playing the Bengals. I'm getting my fucking ass kicked by Geno Atkins because all week in practice, I'm saying, guys, I can't push off my left foot to move inside. Yeah. So Literally he's coming can't. inside every fucking play. Yeah, yeah. And he's just, he figured it out and is just coming inside every play. I get my fucking ass kicked. I get benched at halftime. Come back, start the next game. We play the Bears. Had a good game. Go out, play Oakland. We lose. At this point, we're. One in six. Malarkey's giving us a speech saying, we're going to fucking keep doing things the way we've been doing them. 
and we're going to be making some changes here. So a lot of you guys that are starters who've been around for a while, you're not going to be here at anymore does he look right at you when you're like well, I mean, no <laughs> no but he might as well have because then they come and say they're not they're benching me sure. and they're starting this young guy and it just destroyed me honestly i thought to myself you know fuck these people because i've just worked my fucking ass off and given it everything i had even this you know coming back too early on this injury and i got nothing in my left foot uh and i'm telling you that all week and then you're benching me at halftime and when you bench me, you look in my eyes, you say, Eb, looks like you weren't ready. We need to get you back. And then after the game, you're telling the media, yeah, the left guard spot's up for grabs. Um, so anyway, that year fell apart. <laughs> Clearly, they did a great job. We ended so up too. So fucking dirty. Yeah, so God dirty. damn it. It's like... In, we we yeah. ended up 2-14. and 14. And it's your fault. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everybody gets fired. Yeah. I'm a free agent. And I get I get signed by Chicago. Had one really incredible year in Chicago. I came in as the sixth man swing tackle and got about 20 to 30 plays a game as a jumbo monster tight end. Nice. Which I fucking loved. Yeah. Had a ball. Um, the fucking, the Chicago Tribune wrote this huge article about how much more productive the offense was when I came into the game. We had a record-setting offense. Missed the playoffs by one game. It was a lot of fun really magical year came back for one more year in chicago the magic had left there was a lot of ego it was down to john you could probably relate it was down to the installation of plays just wasn't even the same mm. it, everything was kind of rushed through we were taking was for it granted. same staff same exact staff wow we'd had this record-setting offense the year before came in i think they kind of took it all for granted and thought we'd just be this, you know, monster offense again. And we weren't. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the team went, again, like 2-14. and 14. Whole staff gets fired. I had had, my appendix had exploded during the bye week that year. <laughs> so I had been emergency. You're like, God is telling me something. Yeah, God's just saying, eh, but you know, maybe it's time to do something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after that season came out. Uh, Chicago didn't want to sign me. I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe it's just time to be done. Yeah, I'd given it everything I had uh, that year. So I came back from that appendix. It's one final important note I want to share is I'm sitting in film. I had come back. It had, I had just started practicing again. Because I, when the appendix exploded, I was back in LA at my high school. They were retiring my jersey. Nice. And I was doubled over in pain because oh. my appendix is ruptured. I didn't know it. I waited the day we were supposed to fly back to Chicago. I'm thinking to myself, I can't get on an airplane right now. Something's seriously wrong here. Go to the emergency room. Immediately they do a CAT scan or something. They say, eh, you need an emergency appendectomy right now your appendix is ruptured and it's just spewing toxic shit all inside your body. Go right in for surgery. I'm in the hospital for a week. You know, I've lost 30 pounds. I come back to Chicago. They say, Eb, you know, not only did I need to have every other day blood tests to test the, the bacteria and the virulence in my blood, but 
you know, they're like, yeah, just take a month and just lift weights and get your body back. And so I come back finally and I'm sitting there in, in film watching the practice tape. And I think to myself, going back to what we said about what this game is all about. And there's only one way to play football. Yeah. And I'm watching the film and I'm, I'm in pain from head to toe. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. I used to want to fucking kill people. And I just have no, none of that left in me. You know, I'm watching myself like in practice blocking this defensive end. And I'm thinking, man, I used to want to kill that guy. And here I am. I got, I have no interest in, in that anymore. And I can't play this game like that. I can't be here because I'm going to get some, somebody hurt. I'm going to get yeah. myself hurt. So Mar uh, Marcus Aurelius, I mean, as we were talking a little about that stuff, he had an interesting point where he said, you know, every moment of the day you have to say to yourself, is this necessary? Mm. And I used to think about that all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, like, is this necessary? Is this like the necessary thing? Is this is what's required of me? Is this necessary for my life? Mm -hmm. And I think you get to the point where you're like, just like you said that moment. And that's, that's what struck me where you're like, this isn't necessary. Exactly. Like I always said, like when I couldn't do the game, when I couldn't play the game the way I wanted, I wouldn't play the game anymore. Uh-huh. And I think because uh, I used to see guys that were just like, hey, uh, you know, I even joked like uh, maybe like the last couple of years, maybe I could just be like a good veteran guy that comes in and gets the young guys ready, you know, like that good luck. <laughs> and uh, I, like it just that wasn't in the cards no, for me. It was no. like the day I couldn't fucking start. And it was like, if you can't come in, sir, we don't want, I'm like, what? I'm not a good veteran. I can't be just like the, you know, like you said, like the mentor. Yeah. But no, no. I, was ne I never got to be that guy. I, I. I, that resonates with me so much, man, because exactly. I was just, I, I didn't have it in me. I was like, what, literally, what am I doing here now? What am I doing here? I can't, I don't have it in me to do what I used to do. Yeah. And so at the end of that season, Chicago didn't want to sign me. Um, I looked at my wife at the time and said, you know, I don't know, what do we do? And she said, well, Ed, now it's time to write your book. I was a creative writing major, a nice. philosophy minor in college, and said, "Oh yeah, that's right." We dust that motherfucker <laughs> off. So, uh, my football agent handed me over to a literary agent, and I started this process, putting together a book proposal. Got a lot of good feedback. Honestly, publishers either wanted the red carpet story or the fucking dirty dirt of uh, the locker room. I got uh, offered a, a book like that where they wanted me to kind of, yeah, there was a whole yeah. shit that I didn't want to put my name on. I'm like, the only way I'm doing this is if I ghostwrite it. And yeah. there's the, yeah, I'm not putting my name on it. Yeah. So I said, you know what? That's not really the book I have to write. And that turned into an article that I wrote for sports illustrated called, what does it take to stay in the NFL? Nice. And got a lot of reach really just talked about my experience dealing with injuries, dealing with uh, the physical, emotional stress of playing the game, the, the pill protocols of the training room. And Did uh, um, I, uh, the podcast I listened to for you and been prepping for this, uh, and I think it connected me back to an article where you talked about actually uh, smoking cannabis yeah. uh, and being high during the game. Yeah. And, uh, and, and <laughs> what was hilarious was that like the comments – um, and what I was laughing about was, uh, I've told Chris a story. I took a helmet to the shin, mm. uh, season opener and That's ba fun. basically broke my fibula clean in half. Ugh. They casted me five days and I played three weeks later and then played 17 weeks on a broken leg. Jesus. And dude. they, uh, were giving me so many painkillers 
um, that like on the and so the first game back it was against uh, Warren Sapp in um, uh, Monday Night Football <laughs> Tampa and I go out and basically whoop his fucking ass I love it. with a broken leg and, <laughs> and Andy Reid's like okay I'm like I can't take a step with my left so don't run to my side I'll just cut him off on the back side and I'll pass pro him off of one leg and I end up making Madden's horse trailer I love um, that, but the problem was is uh, they had given me so many painkillers that I was pretty looped and so the doctor I like um, one of our doctors I was like hey man I, I don't know if I can go like I'm like Basically, I'm looped. Like I, like, I can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to stand up. He's like, hold on. He came back. He put something in my mouth, and I went out and played <laughs> and was fine. So then I came back, and I was like, what was that? He was like, I give you a 50 milligrams of Ritalin. Oh, my God, yes. And so he wrote me <laughs> exactly. a script. Exactly. He, he wrote me a script for it. And, um, and you know, hey, like, they got to numb it up, and they got to, you know, and I ended up going out and playing. But I couldn't have gotten off the bench uh-huh. uh, with the way my leg was feeling. And then they were injecting it, and I could feel the bones move every step. And uh, they were like, hey, here's the deal. We don't need you to practice anymore. Just going to hang out in the weight room, ride the bike, you know, underwater treadmill, the whole deal. We just need you to play on Sundays. Uh-huh. And ended up going out and playing the rest of the season. Wow, John. Um, but uh, that's some, yeah. anybody listening, that's a fucking, you have no idea but, how fucking heroic and savage that is. Yeah. yeah, made man's horse trailer and they talked about how great it was and this. And yeah, I mean, that, and that against uh, all pro who I fucking owned for his entire career. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, as I was listening to your deal, people were like, oh, my God. And I'm like, the amount of players that I've seen them pop painkillers. And, like, I mean, uh, dude, the, uh, you know, the story of Brett Favre throwing up and then picking the painkillers out of the vomit. Oh, my God. I uh, haven't heard that. Uh, so he was in an event and threw up, and then somebody saw him picking the painkillers up. I saw that. I mean, oh not, not with God. Brett Favre, but well, other guys. How bad does it have to be to be mentioned on an injury report? So the way that it works is that if you're injured, you have to go in the injury report because the injury report gets pushed out. So the guys right. do, that's how they set the line. In Vegas, yeah. So if they don't, the NFL finds you. So, but the thing is, is you have to go report the injury to the training room. Mm. And for me, I wasn't a training room guy because I... I uh, I'm a linger, right? Well, I thought the training room was like herpes, <laughs> right? If you go in there, don't it's going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there, there were training room guys, you know, uh-huh. guys that like to eat their lunch and they hang out there. I just looked at it like uh, it's fucking going to infect you. And the guys that seem to hang out in the training room more tended to be get injured more. Um, but uh, I'll well, tell you this, man. Um, I law of attraction, though. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, But the, uh, you know, seeing guys go in, you know, for their vitamin T shots. And then uh, yep. I used to always be like, hey, man, mix the T with the vitamin B. So I'd always like pull the full <laughs> syringe of the vitamin B. And then I'm like, give me the vitamin P with the T, which is the Toradol shots. I, I remember, and dude, you, you'll fucking laugh at this, but um, I was playing in Philly and I was a young guy. And, uh, you know, I was always a big monster punch. Mm-hmm. And we had gone up and played um, against uh, fucking, um, um, I'm forgetting his name, against the Giants, against uh, Keith. Um, Hamilton? Keith Hamilton. Mm. And uh, I had effectively punched him so hard so many times that I bruised my palms to the point where I couldn't make fists. Oh, my God, yeah. And so, uh, like, all week in practice, I had kind of been, like, (laughs) using the Leon Searcy, like, just, like, kind of, like, punching like this. Uh And then, like, just trying to, like, mirror dudes not grabbing and trying to save my hands. And so I'm sitting there on Sunday, and I went in, and I was trying to, like, do, like, contrast to something to get my hands to open. And I went, I told the the doc, I'm like, hey, uh, I can't make fists. And he was like, I got something for you. And that's when he hit me with the Toradol. Mm. And I went and sat in my locker and I was like, all Ooh. of a sudden my hands opened up and I could f- make fists. And I remember thinking like, I'm going to fucking murder somebody today. <laughs> Whatever they gave me is going to be excellent. 
and um, yeah, it uh, it and then I I casted them up, and I used to wrap my hands like a boxer, uh, which is what I did when I was younger. So I'd cast those motherfuckers up, and I used to put the yeah. receiver gloves, tape, yeah. tape the tapes, roll the tape, and I remember in pregame I came out and I. <laughs> I was like hitting the dude, uh, the guy was going against uh, Darwin Walker so hard. He's like, yo, man, chill the fuck out in pregame. And I was like, yeah, sorry. I was like, it just feels so good. This hasn't happened in a while. And my hands were so fucked up. But then the problem is then the next week you feel so shitty that you effectively have to get it the next week and the next week. Yeah. And then, so then you figure out pretty early on that the later I can go to the end of the season and not get the vitamin T shot, like until like the fourth quarter of the season, mm. the better I'll do. So then I used to see guys in preseason getting vitamin T shots. Yeah. And I'd go talk to them like, you, you can't yeah. get this in the preseason. You yeah. got you to wait till it gets cold. That was the rule. Yeah. Except definitely started taking it pretty early in the season. Yeah. But not, not in the preseason. Dude, when I saw guys going there getting in preseason, I yeah. would fucking go put my arm around them. I'm like, dude, stop this shit. You ain't going to make it. If you're taking the, the Tordal shots in fucking August, September, yeah. you ain't making it till fucking December or January. <laughs> so. That's the vet. That's why you need your vets, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you got to have old vets around because here's the thing. Like, so when I was uh, uh, an older vet, the young guys uh, they would get injured and they would come out and I'd be like, what'd they tell you? And I would always sit down with them and be like, that's fucking bullshit. And they were like, well, this is what the trainer and the doctor. So much so. Mm. Do you remember a guy named Scott Peters played at ASU? That name sounds super familiar. So he's offensive line coach now. I think he's mm. an assistant for, uh, fuck, where is he? He's somewhere. Uh, maybe Cleveland. Okay. Um, he was uh, one of our young guys. He fucked his ankle up real bad in training camp. Mm. And they were like rehabbing him back, rehabbing him back. And uh, we went in for uh, an install, you know, just bullshit fucking yeah. special teams uh, pregame. And uh, as I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down right behind John Harbaugh, I take his fucking clipboard and I'm flipping through trying to see where I am on the depth chart. And uh, there were names in black and there were names in red. And I was like, why are these names in red? And he's like, oh, those are the people I ain't going to be here tomorrow. And I was like, and Scott's name was on it and he was fucked up. Uh, so they were like, hey, we need to get you out there. And they were trying to get him yeah, out on the field to get him on tape to cut yeah. him. So I went over there and I was like, hey, dude, because he, he was like warming up and he's like, hey, I'm going in in the second quarter and this whole last preseason game. I was like, hey, dude, they're fucking cutting you tomorrow. Do not leave fucking pregame if it's on a stretcher. So he goes out there, first snap for um, for warm up pregame, ah, falls down. They have to bring the cart out. They load him on the cart and take him off. And fucking Harbaugh fucking looks at me and I just fucking like walked away. <laughs> That's probably why, because it was hilarious, because when I, I left the Chiefs, I, uh, Baltimore hit me up and I went in there for a workout and uh, they didn't sign me because they fucking tried to just lowball the fuck out of me. And I was remember, John the coach. Yeah, he was the coach. He brought me in and then all of a sudden I'm there with Ozzie Newsom. He's off. I mean, I started 16 games. Uh -huh. I got 100 career starts. I mean, yeah. I played on two of the best lines. He offers me fucking minimum no signing bonus. And I look at him I'm like, I'll just go fucking home. He's like, you're on the street. I'm like, yeah, but I saved my money. You don't see me showing up with fucking diamonds and a Ferrari. Uh -huh. And I'm like, yo, dude, I fucking started 16 games on two of the best offensive lines, and I'm still fucking play this game, and you're going to offer me this bullshit? So then he was like, you know, like fucking basically chasing me, talking shit. And I was like, yo, man, send me the fuck home. Mm. And I ended up going to the Patriots, and they gave me a much better contract. But, uh, um, yeah, and uh, I always you wondered. Play, you played for Belichick for yeah. a year? Yeah, uh, I actually got hurt in the last preseason game. Oh, wow. Fuck, that's a new another one. So, like an idiot. About a week before training camp, uh, CrossFit HQ hits me up and invites me to compete in the CrossFit Games. Wow, dude. Had uh, six, six, 312 pounds getting ready to go to training camp. And I was like, what is it? And they're like, oh, it's a set of workouts. You're going to compete, cash prizes. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll, where is it? And I had never really CrossFitted, but I had 
gone and trained at a CrossFit gym because mm. at the time I was living in Newport and I used to drive up to Athletes Performance in Carson. Okay. And uh, on the days where I was like, fuck, I didn't want to battle, battle LA's fucking traffic. Yeah. I would go train at this CrossFit gym. Uh-huh. And so the owner talked to the powers to be a CrossFit and then they were like, hey, do you want to do this CrossFit Games thing? And I was like, yeah, fuck it. What is it? Show up and lift some weights? I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. So a week before training camp, I compete in the CrossFit Games and I think uh, I fucked my knee up. Uh. So when I went to training camp, all of a sudden, my knee was hurting, and I think what it happened, oh, I know what happened. Uh, I had a piece of uh, calcified bone on my knee, uh. Uh, sheared off, and got stuck in the joint. Oh. So I played all through preseason, mm. and then, um, you know, fucking everything's fine. I know it's fucked up, but I, I'd started my entire career, never been cut. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, last game, I go in, everything's fine. I'm like, fuck, I'm just going to say something after the first game. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm already vested. We'll see what happens. So, like, five minutes to fucking. Three o'clock, they call me and they're like, hey, we got to release you, but we're going to make a roster move. We're going to sign you tomorrow. Mm. So I hung out for 24 hours. And then when they brought me back, they put me back through the physical. Mm. And the doctor's like, we can't resign you. Your knee's fucked up. Why don't you tell us? And I'm like, well, I've never been cut. Mm-hmm. Started my entire career, dude. Yeah. And then they sent me home. I had knee surgery. And then I rehabbed. And teams were calling. And I couldn't get the swelling out of my knee. Uh-huh. So the doctor was way too aggressive. Uh-huh. And I ended up having to go get a second surgery uh-huh. for him to clean out all the uh, all the debris and just like just the amount of swelling and, and fucked up shit. Yeah. So that ended up. And then by the time I had missed an entire year, and then what am I going to do? Make a fucking miraculous recovery in year twelve? Yeah. And yeah. At that point, I was like, you know what? Like, I missed that. I mean, missing that. I mean, so that was my tenth year, and then I had to miss my entire eleventh, and then I'm going to come back and make a comeback in twelve. Yeah, <laughs> it just it like it just didn't seem. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it just it like it just I, I kind of timed out. If it had been a few years earlier, it would have been fine. But now all of a sudden, and as you know, I'm or maybe you don't. Like the day you turn thirty as an mm-hmm. offensive lineman. Like, yeah, I didn't. I was out by twenty eight. Everybody talks to you different. Uh-huh. Like I remember, I had my thirtieth birthday party, and I came in, and like I was like, "Why?" Are you? Like they're like, "Well, you're thirty now." And now I laugh about it. I'm like, "30 is so fucking young." I know it's so young. I'm like, like Brady's fucking my age. I know, right? Like, it, and and like all these guys. I mean, uh, I was laughing. Uh, who was the tackle that played for um, uh, L.A. The, the Rams? Uh, Rams. Wentworth. Um, yeah. Uh, what's his? Uh, uh, I don't know his Jason? first name. Uh, the the left tackle he just yeah, retired. Yeah, yeah. He's an announcer now. Yeah, yeah. he was awful. Yeah, he was awful. Yeah, Whitworth. He, he was awful. Uh, he used to play for the Bengals. He was yeah, terrible. Garbage. <laughs> he still sucked. And uh, uh, they were like over there giving him these accolades. I'm like, that dude couldn't have played on any of the offensive lines. He couldn't even have backed up on any of our offensive lines. And he just happened to fucking just dodge the bullets long enough to get to a Super Bowl and retire on a fucking high note. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, like, I, so here's what's wild the NFL, and you got the chance to see this, the NFL pre lockout. Uh-huh. was a different NFL. Yeah. When that new CBA came in, and I oh, remember yeah. Tony Gonzalez called me, he's like, John, like, with, he's like, we could have played, I mean, he's like, you could have played 20 years. Yeah. He's like, we, we would have played as long as we wanted. Mm. Tony retired because he's like, fuck, I don't know if there's any more I can do. I could play this game forever because the violence and the ferocity and the way the game was played. I watch it Changed. today. I watch it today. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. What, what were the big changes? Was it preseason? The amount of contact practices? Was it in season? What was the big uh, difference? Well, one, you're not allowed to hit with your helmet the way we were taught. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to go downfield and clean people up. I mean, you don't see them running the ball. They don't put a fullback in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the amount of violence. Like quarterbacks aren't hit. I mean, you just see guys. It's real patty cake, and you're not allowed to put your face in there like like we used to. Yeah. I mean, we were taught to hit head and hands, strike a blow. They also lightened the helmets, so now the helmets are way different. My helmet used to weigh eight pounds. 
yeah. which was like putting eight pound fucking rocks in my hand. Yeah. Now the helmets are way different, so you can't strike a blow the same way. Yeah. There's a different culture too amongst the players, I think. You know, when, because uh, I came in and I was through that transition, you know, through pre lockout, where it was still that. I mean, man, it was like going to war. Yeah. You were preparing for war. Yeah. You know, and every time you stepped on the field, you were going to battle and you were going to fuck somebody up or get fucked up. Yeah. That was the name of the game. And as that lockout happened and the game started to shift, and I think now it's even more different, but it really became, I don't know how to describe it other than hey, guys just taking care of each other now. Yeah, they knocked all the edges off. Yeah, it's just like... You can't, the rules are totally different. You can't use your head. Yep. You can't do X, Y, and Z. I mean, perhaps not using your head is somewhat of a good thing. Yeah, no, I... I uh, From a player sure. health standpoint. Well, but, uh, Junior Seo killing himself, mm -hmm. I mean, really for me is what kind of crystallized it. And like, even yeah. though uh, I look at the game and it's not the game I loved, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it could have continued. Yeah. So uh, uh, Junior was my welcome to the NFL moment. My second year, wow. uh, my second year, we're playing them, um, playing left guard, and we were running like a sweep out to the right. And I remember we were on the far hash, and uh, he all of a sudden. So, so basically, what they had is a junior could do whatever he wanted. Uh -huh. The defense was designed where he had zero responsibility; mm -hmm. he just made plays. Yeah. So he walks out. I'm playing left guard. He walks out on the receiver, and we're running this way. And I'm like, "Holy shit, dude!" Like. <laughs> Like, this dude's fucking 30 yards away from where the ball's going to be. So all of a sudden, the ball snaps, and I take off running. He runs over the top of me and makes the fucking play on the other sideline. It's insane. And then he runs back, pats me on the bat, and it's like, welcome to the NFL, kid. Oh, my and God. And then uh, a couple years later, I'm at the Pro Bowl, and he sees me, and he's like, you, with me. And he proceeded to drink me under the table every fucking night <laughs> to the point where we're like, I'm. he poured me into the limo. And he goes back, helps me in my room opens the key, I fall face down, shuts the door. An hour later, I go out to go throw up on the balcony, and I look out, and he's running on the beach. Jesus. And all I can think of is this guy's a fucking warrior. He yeah. just drank me under the table. He's already up training. I'm a fucking pussy throwing up, and this guy's fucking running on the beach at the sunrise in Hawaii. And, um, you know, realizing now he couldn't sleep. Uh -huh. He was in the throes of CT and all these problems. Yeah. I mean, he couldn't sleep. He was basically drinking himself fucking into a stupor and uh, even then he couldn't sleep I mean he was masquerading at all I mean it was um, in, in my head I'm thinking fucking warrior yeah and then all of a sudden you realize on the other side years later like holy shit dude but he that was, was tortured but that yeah. was the culture yeah you know, know. I mean he, he legitimately set his body on the funeral pyre of football and lit it on fire yeah and uh, we revere him for it yeah and um, I mean I think him killing himself was like really what crystallized it for me where the that was I, a big wake-up call yeah i mean it, it had to change yeah uh, um but it's it's awful for me personally to watch football I, we watched yesterday with the kids and this and my wife's like like you know asking me and i'm like it, like i know it has to change i know this is the game now it's like seven on seven passing league shit but this isn't the game that i was brought up in uh -huh. and it's not the game i love yeah yeah, it's true. Well, you saw that whole deal where, uh, you know, they called that kind of weird ticky-tack uh, roughing the passer yeah. on that guy for Brady. Uh -huh. And then everybody was like, ah, oh, and then they went back and showed 
the first 10 years of Brady's career before the lockout were the hits. Yeah. And like, I mean, dude, they're like, I saw one with Jared Allen who I, who I played with was my roommate after he got his third DUI, um, <laughs> came around the corner and absolutely fucking murdered Brady. Yeah. And they were like, no call. Basically. Yeah. No call. Basically <laughs> the guy, so that the guy made a point where he's like, if this happened today, this guy would be, uh, suspended. suspended for his entire <laughs> NFL career and would never come like like one they wouldn't let you hit Brady like this two they wouldn't allow this hit like this was just uh, and he wasn't even flagged on that play yeah this this would break the internet and this guy would never play football again yeah and this was just a uh, a run of the mill hit like yeah. this is how far we've come yeah but you also can't pay a dude a half a billion dollars and spec some fucking knuckle dragger to fuck him up yeah so I yeah. mean I, I I know the money I know all this other shit but I still have this like foot in like we got a chance to play the game the way it was supposed to be played. And yeah. this game today shouldn't even be called. Yeah. What do you feel about that? How do you like, how do we, how do we rectify or I'm not sure the word I want to use here. How do we rectify that as far as for ourselves, what the game was and what, we were brought up in because football for me was so sacred. Yeah. It was the last bastion of gladiators of warriorship for well, young men. It's, uh, and it's really not that it's just like another entertainment thing now. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's what they've done in our society. They've tried to rip down every pillar we have, uh-huh. you know, I mean like, uh, I, I fucking get sick when I hear somebody talk about toxic, uh, toxic masculinity. Oh God. I, I, I fucking literally, I, I get like a virile response when I hear these fucking beta bitches talk on this and hearing women and this. And I, uh, I, I have, I, I keep my mouth shut and probably get cut out of this podcast too. Cause they're smarter than me. But, um, uh, it, the, the issue comes down to, I will not, well, one, you can't analyze, uh, the past with the lens of the future. Mm. And two, I will not allow people that couldn't fucking tie my shoes, carry my bag or show up and train a single day for me to have any opinion about anything I've ever fucking done. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. like if you call me on the phone and you're like, Hey, and we have a conversation about it, I will take, uh, everything you say under advisement because you did the job that I did. Mm. Um, I feel that only people that I played with and that people that, uh, lived the job the way we did, you know, the Tony Gonzalez is a world that played the job at the highest level. Like, we can have a, we can have intellectual intelligent conversations because you understand and you can stand on the platform for me. Mm -hmm. When I listen to people that never did what we did, you know whether it be these fucking announcers and the Stephen A. Austins and all these fucks that I do not care about uh, that have never earned a place. Yeah. I have I, I have no yeah their their voices carry no weight for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I hear about the the culture of toxic masculinity in in the NFL, and I'm like, well, um, I, like I don't know how else you you do it without you know some form and and when did masculinity become a bad thing yeah we need strong men yeah just like you need women to be women yeah you know like it's the yin and the yang and yeah we go back to the you know oldest thing like yeah. you need balance in this world it's a universal law yeah yeah i mean you know it's um yeah so yeah i mean that's what uh i i don't know how i balance it i enjoy watching it and like my wife and this and uh my kids we watched um uh the eagles versus the Kansas cowboys City, uh, no it was e oh sorry it was Bills, Bills KC, and then we watch yeah. uh, um, the Eagles fucking crush Dallas, which is fine because I fucking hate the Cowboys. <laughs> so, I mean, that was exciting to watch. And, uh, and, and we watch it entertainment-wise because, one, um, the quality of the experience is so good on TV with the cameras uh -huh. and the HD in this. I mean, I, like the fact that I can see lines yeah. in, in like, you know, well, Tom Brady's got a lot of Botox, but you can still see lines in his face. 
Like, that's amazing. Yeah. So from an entertainment standpoint, I really enjoy it. Uh-huh. But uh, watching a piece or watching the games, a little piece of me dies because I remember lining up against John Randall. Uh-huh. You know, like the fucking, like the people that should be on the Mount Rushmore, the people that fucking played the game the way they should. Yeah. You know, hearing John Randall fucking bark in his stance and fucking throw you a nasty spin move and talk shit to you and like fight and battle and push and like that's the shit that I got up for. Yeah. And then not seeing that anymore. Yeah. You know, or seeing a guy get pushed and he acts and falls down like a fucking <laughs> load of shit. I like see that and I'm like, God, I would be so fucking embarrassed to see that dude trying to flop right there. It's like yeah. fucking soccer. Yeah, totally, man. So um, it's an interesting thing. I try to almost look at it as it's not the same. It's just not the same. It's not. Well, it, it's it's different. Like, yeah. It's probably like, uh, I don't know. I, I was never a big video game, but like, um, uh, you know, different versions like Call of Duty 1 or 2, even though I never played Call of Duty. I imagine like there's people that are purists that enjoy the first game and maybe maybe it's just different 2.0. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So... My last year in Chicago, came out of that, wrote this article. And that, talking about cannabis and the pill protocols and dealing with depression. Did, and Did you take a lot of pills? You know, towards the end, I didn't at all. Because opiates, I found out real quick, caused severe withdrawal symptoms yeah. very early on. So by the time I got to Chicago, I wasn't taking any opiates anymore. Nice. Cannabis really became my, my main source of pain management. What, did you feel that, or did you start to see people around you experience that? With the withdrawal? opiates? Yes. Oh, I felt it. I well, felt it. Well, that, and you start seeing, like, I, uh, like I, I'm, I'm not kidding you, man. I saw dudes popping those motherfuckers like breath mints, like 7, 14, 20 of them a day. And then all of a sudden, you're around those people, and they were way fucking different. Like, yeah. they smelled different. They moved different. Everything about them. And yeah. I remember thinking, like... They like so. I'm always a little weird. Like, uh, and then also, the longer you play, the more skeptical or, or skeptical or sorry, skeptical. Yeah. And mistrusting, you become a doctor's. So, uh-huh. so all of a sudden, when a doctor's giving you something, and I'm like, every ounce of me is telling me that you are trying to fucking kill me at every turn. I don't. <laughs> I'm not taking this because you're giving it to me. Is uh-huh. because the doctors lie to you, as you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to be fine in this, and then they see somebody else, and they're like, you shouldn't even have been out of bed. And yeah. you're like, well, wait a minute. You know, I thought they were in my best interest. And you realize they're employed by the team, not by the union. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I felt the, I had severe withdrawal symptoms after three days of prescribed use with Vicodin, Oxycontin, Percocet, yeah. all that stuff. Waking up at two, three o'clock in the morning with a knifing sensation in my gut, cold sweats, chills, my cotton, body just cotton mouth. totally aching, yeah. craving just more of these chemicals to satisfy this void I'm experiencing and really never doing anything about the pain, you know, and that's kind of the funny thing. You're yeah. still in a shitload of pain. It's just, you're totally numbed. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it, it doesn't block the pain. It just makes your brain numb so that yeah. you can kind of like disassociate from the pain. Exactly. Uh, I didn't take them. I mean, I, I can't say I never took them, but I didn't take them with any frequency. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I remember just, um, it was weird. I remember I fucked myself up when my leg was hurt and uh, I went through that whole thing and I realized if this becomes the norm for me, I'm not going to be able to play this game anymore Yeah. because my leg was uh, so fucked up 
that as I was taking, like I could feel the bone moving and I couldn't feel it. And uh-huh. I remember thinking like, if I'd mask the pain, I'm just going to fuck myself up worse. So yeah. at least I want to know what pain I'm in. Yeah. So then I just kind of made this deal with, uh, and I, it's so fucking creepy to think about it. But I remember having like a conversation with myself. I'm like, what if we just treated pain like an old friend? Uh-huh. Like, come on in, old friend. Sit down for a while. Hey, bro. Right? And we're going to sit here and rap a little bit, and then you're going to fucking leave. And I just I just viewed pain as like an old friend coming to visit. So even when I get hurt now, people are like, oh, is that hurt? I'm like, yeah, it's like an old friend. It's a familiar feeling. And he'll be here, and then he'll leave. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you almost make this deal with the devil. And for me, it was I made a deal with pain. You're like an old friend. Sit in. Come in, old friend. Sit down for a little. Yeah. And then get the fuck out. <laughs> Dude, I mean... Talk about an ultimate ancient spiritual precept. That's, I mean, that's what it is. You know, it's just like anything else, any other sensation or emotion. Pain is just a physical yeah. sensation that you're experiencing. So why not greet it as an old friend? Yeah. Where, whereas like people were trying to mask it and run for it. Uh-huh. I remember telling people, I'm like, the day you embrace that motherfucker. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you the same way exactly. you guys are running. And even like uh, KT and I had this conversation where he uh-huh. was trying to hide from it all the time. Uh-huh. And I was like, yo, man, you got to embrace that motherfucker and look into its eyes and realize this is part of the deal. That's right. That's absolutely right. Um, so, yeah, the opiates were fucking. It's interesting because after my career, I did this, this genetics test that was actually by a guy I know in the cannabis industry who who does cannabis genetics testing and can test your DNA just like a 23andMe test mm. and see what your body interacts with best, like how your body functions best and what <coughs> cannabinoids, THC, CBD, what interacts with you and what does what. And in that test, it's said that I have a variance in my DNA that makes me highly susceptible to opiate withdrawal. Oh, fuck. And that really made sense to me because I was like, yep, three days after prescribed usage of this shit, I was in severe withdrawal symptoms. Wow. Um, So, yeah, by the time I was in Chicago, I wasn't taking any opiates ever again. Well, uh, here's my thing. And um, like, I'm I'm not a big cannabis dude. It's just for like, I don't need anything to like... uh, I don't need anything to feel tired. Uh-huh. Like I can sleep. I, I got kids, right? So like, uh, but for me, um, like I would much rather people do that than take painkillers. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I it, like in in all the research and all the people I've been around. Like I'm, you know, like mm-hmm. it's very rare for somebody to uh, you know steal cars, murder families, rob banks, all this for you know these opiates. And I mean, you listen to the opiate crisis. Oh yeah, it's fucking scary. I'm like shit. Like there's no. You know, I mean, like you, the stories of alcoholic fathers. I mean, you think about drugs and alcohol and then you hear like, you know, these kids being like, oh, yeah, no, my dad smoked pot. We used to watch cartoons and he probably ate all my fucking cereal. You know, like that's a yeah. better narrative I want. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Let, let, let the players, because all, as you know, most players self-medicate through alcohol. Uh-huh. I mean, we all did. It's just a lot of alcohol. So when I, I I'm sure it might have been changed when you when you came along but when i was a young dude when you got on the plane oh yeah uh, I, heard, they, I heard these stories so they would give us beers so you get your lunch they give you two beers and then the uh the the trainers uh would walk down the aisles and they had these boxes of pills uh-huh. and they would shake them they sounded like rattlers and you hear the <laughs> shake and if you wanted them you would be like this and then guys would get pills and then they would start trading pills for beers and guys would take this and you drink beers and like it was and a so it was, it was fucking rattlers. And so we, we'd hear them come by and they would be shaking these pill boxes 
with fucking Vikes in them, and dudes would be like, oh, and they get those, and they'd be like, hey, I'll give you a bit. And so the pill boxes became little brown envelopes. Oh, so they get rid of the rattlers. Yeah, and the beers went away. Yeah, so but I heard the stories about the beers and the so, plane seats. So the reason that the beers went away was uh, there, was, <laughs> there was after a game, and I, I can't remember who the coach was. But after the game, you know, because the play, most of the play or the coaches are ex-players, and there's a lot of ex-players as coaches. So uh, the defensive coordinator, and I can't remember if it was my team or we heard the story because I'm not going to place it well. But basically, the defensive coordinator and one of the offensive line coaches who had played against each other started drinking and started talking shit like your defense fucking sucks, fuck you, and ended up getting into a fist fight on the plane. Perfect. Uh, that like the entire team and then the players jumped in and the whole plane turned into a fucking UFC match. Melee. And then close it, quarters combat. Yeah. And dudes were fucking each other up. With professional close quarter combat and dudes people. Had, <laughs> dude, dudes have been fucking taking painkillers and drinking beers. <laughs> oh and then and then the other one is uh, guys who bring bottles of Crown Royal. Because uh-huh. not everybody was a beer guy, so then it was bottles of crow. Oh, yeah. And so then uh, I think bottles got shattered. Oh and, and then and then I remember, uh, no, I didn't play on the team because I would have remembered being in the fight. But then all of a sudden, like, the beers were gone. I remember, we're like, what happened to the beers? Like, and then we heard the story on ESPN that there was a fight on the deal. And that's when we never got any beers anymore. Just like that. Just changed. Like that. Poof. Like Kaiser fucking Sose. Well, I'm sure you heard the Wade Boggs story about the cross-country flight. Yes. 50 beers. Uh, that's nothing compared to John Runyon. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever heard. This. So John's, you know, uh, congressman, and now he's risen to a, he's, the, he's basically the, uh, the fine guy now for the NFL. But I'm telling you, uh, for whatever you say, that guy had one mutant ability, which was the ability to consume alcohol faster than any human being I've ever been around. He's the only guy I know that could get a 12-pack of beer, put it on the ground, and finish every beer before they even fucking stop sweating. Like, that's how much he could drink. He's fucking mutant for booze. And, um, yeah, so, so like, uh, we flew from, from Philly to uh, Seattle, and I guarantee you, would probably beat that record. But tell the Wade Boggs story. Well, that's it. It's cross-country. So he, 50 beers? Yeah, from Philly. So he was a Philly uh-huh. to an L.A. competition or home from L.A. I forget the order, but 50 beers on the plane. 50 beers in six hours is fucking that's that's a, a lot. It's a, a, a lot of pissing for me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the uh, but it, it was just kind of a different thing, man. Like, um, yeah, uh, dudes drank, uh, they fought. Like it was, it was like, uh, um, it, I don't know how to describe it. Just like fucking, uh, like jolly green fucking giants walking yeah. the earth, like fucking Vikings. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, it's turned yeah. into something. Yeah, different entertainment. It's entertainers. It's you know, influencers. Like a social media. Well, the, it was, so what's wild now, and I, I don't know if it's better or worse, but when I came in, they were really very leery on us interacting with the media. Mm. Like, uh, so even to this day, social media to me is extremely weird mm-hmm. that players are allowing people to have snapshots yeah. of their kids, where they live, like, hey, I'm going to this restaurant. Like, we, I, I don't know if you had stalkers. We had a ton of stalkers. These weird people where, like, you'd see them after the game, and then we'd go places and we would see them. Mm. Um, like, I like there was this girl that, like, everywhere I went, there's I was a handful. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, there were a lot of stalkers, and these people were just kind of wacky. So now with social media, it's like you're giving all the stalkers, you're giving them the info. Informa- yeah, yeah. So like, I still to this day like have this like weird because I mean we went through all these meetings. They were like people like uh, Hugh Douglas. I don't know if you remember Hugh. Oh yeah. 
Hugh had these, uh, this guy that used to write, because Hugh used to try to be real funny in the media. Like, what do you enjoy doing? Like, long walks, rainbows, shit like that. He used to try to be a smartass. So this guy started writing him these letters, that oh were these love goodness. letters, and he made the mistake of letting one of us read it. <laughs> and dude, oh he got absolutely like there was a lot of wacky shit, man. There's a lot of stuff that went unsaid, but like with the social, man, like I see these guys, especially like flying in Tinder, social media, dating apps. I'm like, oh, like every part of me fucking like, Ugh. yeah. But oh I mean, yeah, I mean now they're all in a mindset of building a brand. Uh huh. You know, I mean yeah. the, the fact that I can now see offense alignment on fucking uh, like advertisements and and, and, yeah. and TV getting sponsorship deals that never fucking happened. Yeah. Yeah. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, Go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now, back to the show. Yeah, it's a totally different thing. It's so, a totally different So thing. when you went out, uh, you know, like you got to the point where you're in a lot of pain. You don't want to take the painkillers. And you actually went out and, you know, you smoked. And I think in the, in the podcast or what I read, you played some of your best football. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I figured I've been taking these pills anyway, so... Why don't I just try this? And cannabis, for a variety of reasons, just made me feel really grounded. And just like the opiates, it doesn't do anything to actually inhibit the pain that you're experiencing. But for me, what cannabis always did was it allowed me to experience the joy in, of life, you know, just be in the flow of life. And so I consumed some cannabis make my way to the stadium. Do you smoke it or eat it? I'd smoke it, which didn't have, you know, it doesn't last as long, mm -hmm. but it lasted long enough to give me a little padding. Um, I just felt more grounded. I felt more in my feet. It felt like I could go out and just do my thing. And I didn't have that horrific after effect of the pills. It just made me feel vacant and void and left me with all sorts of fucked up side effects. So, yeah, that's sort of at the end of my career, that became a, a, a pretty regular thing when I could do it. And then I started getting access to vape pens, which made it a little bit easier because I could consume it more, you know, close to game time. Sure. Um, and at that time, you know, there wasn't very good access to edibles or anything like that. So the entire thing's changed. Yeah. It's a I completely mean, different thing now. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can get it in just about any form you could think of. Well, uh, uh, Turley used to smoke. And so he would drive over to my house before practice and pick me up. And then I would drive with work to him so he could smoke in the car. Uh huh. And then he, uh, he used to make like a weed peanut butter uh -huh. and, uh, like make it on sandwiches and shit. Yeah. Uh, make cookies. <laughs> and, uh, one fun, pretty funny story. He left, uh, these, this cookie in my car. And I went to go see a movie, and the girl I was with, like, I, I, like opened the glove compartment or like the center console, and that cookie was in there. She's like, What's that? I'm like, It's one of Turley's cookies. And she was like, You wanna eat it? I was like, Yeah, we went and saw a movie. So I like knocked it in half. 
all of a sudden, like three minutes in the movie, I'm like looking around like, this is the longest movie I've ever been to. You know, got in the car, like uh, driving in the right lane at five miles an hour with the blinkers going on because I think I'm speeding. Like She's like, slow down. And then I called You know how fast you were going? Seven. Seven. Yeah, seriously. That was me. She was like, slow down. I'm like, I can't go any slower, you know? And I called Kyle and I was like, I ate half that cookie. He's like, what? You're only supposed to have a little bit. I'm like, don't leave that shit around for morons. I I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You're going to leave that thing and fucking kill me. Edibles are dangerous, dude. I don't, I, cannabis has been an interesting thing for me because lately or over the last few years, and I think this speaks to some of the adaptogenic properties of it. You know, it was super helpful for me during that time in football when I was dealing with just, you know, you're in, you're in immense amount of physical pain. You're emotionally stressed. It was very helpful to help bring me down, help me get a good night's sleep, help me recover. But since then, where I'm not dealing with as much stress. It's amazing, right? It's just like a little bit here and there at night. And I haven't even, you know, I take long breaks off. I haven't had any in a long time, actually. And uh, just even the slight, just a hair too much. And I'm completely uncomfortable. I can't go anywhere. I need to just spend the next two hours doing breath work, centering myself, maybe get a workout in to bring myself back to center because it'll take me literally to fucking Saturn. And I have no interest in doing that anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, the... um I, I think there's a lot of people that um, are fighting to not be present. Mm-hmm. So they're trying yes. to do anything to, to escape. Uh-huh. And the minute that you become present in your life, you almost don't want to do anything that takes you away from being present. Exactly. Like, how do I, you know, if I have a cup of coffee, I feel like more wired in, more uh-huh. grounded like this. I'm like, I drink coffee all day, but I also know that I can't drink coffee all day because it fuck yeah. up my stomach. But uh, <laughs> like, I, like. You're right. That's exactly what like, it is. At this point in my life, I want to be 100% grounded and wired in as deep as I can to have as many intense, you know, good conversations and feel like connected. Absolutely. I don't want to do anything that like disconnects me. That's the name of the game. Be connected, be grounded, be present. Um, so, so what was like, um, all of a sudden it ends and you know, you're going to go write this book. Like, um, there's a weird piece where all of a sudden you've been like unplugged from the matrix mm-hmm. and like all your friends and the people. And like, I always tell these guys that like, it's so weird when you're an NFL player because all your friends are NFL players. So you only go places with other NFL players and you live in this bubble. And then all of a sudden they fucking shoot you out of the bubble. Yeah. And then you're sitting around and you're like, your phone doesn't ring. You don't hear from your friends and you're kind of like, now I'm just not, I mean the word free agent is by far the best. It's like you're on an island all by yourself and you yeah. have to figure out who you are yeah. without this. Mm-hmm. And that's a fucking scary thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a super scary thing. I've said often that it's like you just got thrown off the cruise ship and you don't have a life preserver and you're out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, figure it out, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, that was a really interesting journey because at first there was this sensation of relief Like I had, man, I had completed what I set out to do with my football career and now I was done and felt really good to have this sense of, I walked out on my own terms and I felt like I really gave it everything I had for as long as I could. And there was nothing left for me to do in the game. And then slowly but surely it was this slow trickle realization of, holy shit, Everything I've been doing for the last 15 years from high school through my NFL career was all centered around this game. 
Who the fuck am I? What am I going to do with my time? How am I going to make money? What do I even enjoy? Every relationship I've had has been through this lens, this prism of I'm this star athlete. And now I have to redefine all of that stuff. And so first I just started getting my body back in order. Started putting my body back together. Started losing the weight. I came back to yoga, which my mom had been taking my brother and I to yoga from the time I was about 10, which was incredible for my football career as an athlete, just cultivating resilience. And honestly, when I came to the NFL and I started getting dealing with those, especially the bad back injury, I really drifted away from yoga because frankly, getting into a fucking down dog or anything else for that matter was just excruciatingly painful. Sure. So I came back to yoga, started putting myself back together physically, uh, losing weight, getting myself really strong and lean and tuning into my food. I, when I left my last year after Chicago, I got um, connected with this great strength coach in the city in Chicago, and he put me on a ketogenic nice. diet, nice. which was transformative, you know, and I thought, and that really was the beginning. I started playing with intermittent fasting and a ketogenic diet and started dropping weight and just cleaning up my physical body. A lot of the inflammation just went away, you know, all the aches and pains I felt got super fucking strong, got super fucking healthy. Um, and, you know, from there, it just started to be about getting cleaner and clearer. Oh, just every single day, just waking up, getting cleaner and clearer. And that wasn't, that wasn't very pretty at times. You know, there's a lot of fucking, there's a lot of emotional healing and mental healing that had to take place. I mean, you know, I went into football and I, at 13 and I didn't have to deal with any of my childhood shit. And so coming out of football, all of it's starting to come crashing over me. So I found 12 step programs went into Al-Anon, all men's group in, in LA that was super beneficial for me. Just started to unpack all the, the shit that I had been really just dealing with for a long time and just never had to look at because I had this blanket of football and uh, made my way into therapy and therapy. The therapist said, hey, have you ever thought about meditation? So meditation became a big part of my practice and just started putting on these guided meditations and going for long walks and starting to tune into this, this infinite well of stillness and peace inside myself, which just took me into various plant medicines and ayahuasca and combo and started exploring all that stuff. And really throughout this process, I'm just starting to put myself back together and through that, during my football career, I, in Jacksonville in particular, I got connected with the guy who was the, the music director of the local NPR station, and he gave me a radio show. Nice. Where I'd put together playlists of music and do literature readings and like wow. whole, like make a whole love it. story. I, I, it, was, it was so fun, and I fell in love with the medium. And coming out of football, I thought, man, this podcasting thing. So this is in 2015. This podcasting thing was starting to become kind of a, an interesting platform. And I thought, man, 
I really want to have a podcast. So I met a good friend of mine, this guy, Nate Jackson. He played for the, the Broncos for six years. He was a tight end, wrote a great book called Slow Getting Up. It's a fantastic book on playing football in the NFL. And uh, we got together, started doing a podcast, which started out as the Mindful Warrior podcast, turned into Caveman Poet Society. <laughs> and we were just talking about this thing, this life after football, putting the pieces back together getting your body right, learning about, or, or just like finding yourself in, in various places in art, in training and fitness and music and whatever it might be. And uh, I just started getting really good at it and talking about it and sharing my experience. And one thing led to another. I was also doing a lot of cannabis advocacy and speaking on cannabinoids as medicine for football players. I'm sure you already know this, John, but, you know, uh, the federal government has a patent on cannabinoids yeah. as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. Shocker. And yeah, of course. Weird. Yeah, weird. So started just doing this tour and Kyle really started me on that, Yeah. Uh, which was an important part of my life after football and finding, figuring out what the fuck I'm doing with myself. And it just became this thing of being a truth teller, sharing my experience to help people on their journey to assist them in, in understanding that they're not alone, that there's answers, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that you're going to get through that pain and that suffering. It sounds like a journey. Um, mm -hmm. And that was something, too, that, that I've talked to Kyle extensively about where, um, you know, marijuana is not the panacea. No. It's just one aspect. That yeah. There's like you talked about ketogenic diets, talk about fasting, getting yourself healthy. Now, I mean, you're talking about breath work and this. I mean, like I've looked at this like holistic approach because mm -hmm. I did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like I, I started with, uh, you know, ketogenic diets and then we did some fasting and then it's, you know, hey, I want to do strength in this. And you kind of go on this journey. And I remember being like, you know, with the cannabis stuff, I'm like, Kyle, like, this is just one little piece of it. Yeah. And like, yeah. but that became all consuming. And uh -huh. I'm like, man, there's so many other things out there. It's just a tool. Man. Yeah. It's just a tool. But like for him, it was like, it cures everything from, from athlete's foot to world peace. Uh -huh. And I remember being like, yo man, like, uh, like this piece is important for you. But I'm like, you know, uh, for me, it doesn't, I, I don't have the same effect that you do. Like, it doesn't fit for me the same way. Like, I don't wake up and feel like this need. It doesn't do what it does for me. And he's mm -hmm. like, whoa, you know, and he couldn't see that piece. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, man, there's so many other things that I want to experience that I don't want to experience in that state. Uh -huh. And like, that's, I think what you're showing is like this, uh, this metamorphosis, this journey from like, that you're moving along and you're constantly finding these things. Like uh -huh. you're talking about meditation, which all of these things are all things that I do. Uh -huh. Um, and, uh, it's a holistic thing, man. Well, it, it's, you know? uh, you're trying to like, I think what happens is, um, you know, we're gravitate or, or we gravitate towards a certain life and it becomes the comfort and then you get out and you realize almost how broken it is in so many ways, but you almost have to be broken to be good at it. Yeah. And then when you get out, you're like, I don't have to conform to this anymore. I can do whatever I want. I can uh -huh. be whoever I want. And if I don't continue to evolve, I'm just going to be like, and I, this has been my fucking biggest fear is that, uh, you know, 30 years from now, you're like, I'm Terry, Tony, Tony, you know, you're, and you're on the sports deck, uh, you know, talking about this weekend's game. And all I know from you is what you did 30 years ago, uh -huh. you know, and it's like, you know, Howie Long, like, I don't, I mean, he's still fucking up there and Tony, Terry and Tommy and like, they're fucking up there talking about it. They've yeah. been doing it for years. Yeah. 
and we don't know them for anything else. Like how yeah. he was in that Firestorm movie. Uh, what else has he been doing? It's awesome. It was a great movie, and I, uh, you know, but I like. I know. God bless him. Yeah. God bless him. But I think I fucking killed myself. Yeah, me too. If I had to sit up there with the pen in my hand and talk about, well, you know, this year's defense no, and thanks. this and this. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's vapid. It's fucking like, and I know they're getting paid big money, but it's not all about money. No. And the fact that they have to go up there and like you got Terry Bradshaw up there, who we only really know about Terry. Bradshaw for what he did when he played for the Steelers fucking 50 years ago. Yeah. And I'm sure he's done a million other things that we don't know about right. because they don't need him to do that. They just need him to fucking show him out there, you know, battling Kenny Stabler. Right. And like, to me... Uh, he's acted in a few things. He has. As himself. As himself. <laughs> and he's done some stuff in this, but like, that's not what people know. Like, they know him as the quarterback for the Steelers in the fucking 60s. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, not to say that that isn't a coveted job in any way, but like, that to me is fucking a gun in my mouth where I'm never uh, people don't want me to evolve into something different than I was X amount of years you're still playing the same fucking fiddle it's tragic to me yeah it's tragic yeah it's a life waste I mean I can't say life wasted because it's their life yeah. to live yeah but from where I sit yeah uh, I don't know if I would want to do that that would that would have been an ultimate tragedy for me to just live my life as the guy who played for the Jags and the Bears and was a team captain and yeah. It just, uh, well, it, it, it's like uh, I'm living the same life. I just don't get to go in the building and put on the helmet anymore. Yeah, which is what I love. Which is what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, so now I have to sit on the outside and talk about what other people are doing. That yeah. it, It's fucking weird for me. Yeah. Well, well, both of you. It'd be the, like somebody commentating on a porn, on sex. <laughs> All right, I'm going to interrupt. It'd be like, hey, Both uh, of you had the opportunity, <laughs> rhetorician, philosophy minor, creative creative writing yeah. writing major yeah. so both of you had the opportunity to think at a higher level and then either read thought leaders or put your own thoughts down on paper do you think in the long run that's that's allowed you to now have this second career the second life life well, this phoenix from the ashes uh there's there's no uh no surprise that evan is an offensive lineman I found an offensive lineman to be one, much more cerebral and intelligent than any other fucking players on the field. Defense alignment being the other side who are the dumbest fucks on the universe. <laughs> so, uh, like that, like when we talk about, we see Booger McFarland up there who was the worst fucking player on the planet and somehow got into a fucking job and he sucks at that too because he's the dumbest motherfucker I know and he sucked. And I used to literally... I'm trying to shine some light I'm on the I'm just telling you, and, and as an offensive lineman, seeing Booger McFarland run on the field thinking to myself, yes, I'm going to have an all-pro Sunday. <laughs> and then seeing him as an announcer on there and feeling like the same feeling of like, oh my God, this guy's fucking terrible. So like that's, <laughs> that's how I feel about defense alignment. <laughs> Even when they're commentating, I'm still fucking making fun of them. Because oh I, 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 dude, I used to challenge them to spelling bees all the time. I'd be like, let's get in a spelling bee. Spell pterodactyl. <laughs> Fucking head would pop off. They'd be like, T? I'd be like, fail the rear out. It's funny. Oh, dude, I, you, you, could rip, you could rip on that. Dude. That's your trash talk. I will yeah. say <laughs> that John and I, we gravitated towards those majors because that's just who we were to yeah. begin with, you know. And mo- while most guys are doing general studies or communications or whatever, these fucking pretty pretty meaningless degrees. Yeah, mundane, just, just yeah. fucking dolts. Take classes to just get through. I used to call them trachodites. <laughs> trachodites. Um, which, which is a, a fancy name for fucking cave dwellers. Right. Uh, 
Can I get a spelling for that, please? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm gonna fuck it up. But it's uh, T R O C D Y T Trocodytes. D Y T E S might be Trocodytes. And it, what's it means, the origin? Uh, it was actually, I believe, it was uh, kind of a Greek Roman word that meant cave dwellers. That there were morons that lived in caves, <laughs> not in civilized society, that were called Trocodytes. <laughs> But uh, that was, uh, I used to, uh, you know, I'd like uh, during an interview one time, they asked me what goes through my mind as I run on the field. And I told them, Ave Cesar Moritori Te Salutant, <laughs> which is the only Latin I remember, which is Hail Caesar, those of us about to die salute you, which is what the gladiators would say before they fucking fought to the death. And I dropped that on this reporter and his fucking head exploded. <laughs> And, uh, you know, ooh, oh, I think about my mom and, my mom and Jesus and my mom. And I'm like, fuck no. That's not what I'm thinking. Yeah. Even the fact that I get to fucking run out here at 100 miles an hour in game unis and try to fucking murder people for three hours in front of why millions of people scream. What do you think I'm thinking about? Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's, it, it's the most, it's like, the dumbest people are the sports and uh, are the sports reporters and the people in the sports desk and the people in the media. They're so fucking dumb, mm. you know? And the, the questions that I ask <laughs> and the mundane nature that I was just to the point where I was like, ah. Oh, you guys can't be this stupid. And they are. I mean, so, uh, yeah. But I, I, so for me, the reason that I gravitated towards my major is one, um, I like to write and I like to read. And I've always had this opinion that when I get a chance to read, especially the classics, it's like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the smartest minds in the world. Mm -hmm. And I was surrounded by some of the dumbest fucks in the world. So reading for me was this escape to like have conversations with the most intelligent people that ever walked the face of the earth. You know, you get a chance to read Jordan Peterson's book. You know, I got a chance to have a conversation with George Peterson because I got to read his book. You know, same with, um, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, existentialists and the cynics and the talk that I gave at the collective. You know, those books that I read and those, in, those, those pieces of information were like me being there. And I always imagined sitting, you know, campsite or fireside and having intelligent conversations. Mm. That's why what's so great for the podcast, us sitting here is such a much more rich experience. And I'm yeah. so stoked you came instead of seeing it on a film, on, yeah. on, on, a, on a TV. Me too, man. Me too. It's a lot of fun. So what, uh, what do you think has really helped? Like, um, I mean, we were talking about, you know, hyperbarics and ketogenic diets and supplementation and genetics. I mean, you know, all of these things. I mean, there's a million things. Yeah. And, and, and what's wild is I get hit up, if not every day, but at least twice a day by either somebody who's an ex-athlete, military, somebody that's going through the same kind of, mm -hmm. you know, like beginning this journey and they always ask, where should I start? Food. <laughs> Food is like medicine. I would say start there. Because if you're eating like shit, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to have too much brain fog, which is going to fuck everything else up. Food, movement. I, I wrote, I published my first book this year, The Ebb and Flow, Basic Tools to Transform Your Life. And the tools in there Food, movement, fasting, meditation, and breath work. Plant medicine is sort of on the back end because I think it's another great tool, whether it's cannabis, psilocybin, ayahuasca, whatever that might be. Those are tools that can help you come back to center, which is what it all always does. It always just brings you back to center. I mean, I have a big bone to pick right now in, the, in this fucking spiritual wellness community where everything is about you gotta come and do the mdma psilocybin ceremony it's like no i don't <laughs> like you keep going back to that well sure have fun with it well, but that's it, not going to bring you any more it's it it's like the doctor who just wants to hand you painkillers exactly. because they don't know how to fix your injury exactly 
And like, uh, like every, every, like I, I have a buddy, uh, CK Lynn who trained at the gym. He's like, uh, one of these, um, plant based medicine CEO guys who mm. to be considered an entrepreneur and CEO, you have to go on the plant based medicine deal where they come and they take you on the ceremony, which helps you enter the plane of being an entrepreneur. Interesting. And as he was pitching me on it, I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, I already know what darkness is. Yeah. I've already embraced it and looked yeah. it in the eyes, which is what we talked about Tate Fletcher, that I think a lot of these people, because they've never challenged themselves in interesting ways, are constantly looking for these things to port them into the darkness to, so they know who they are. I'm like, believe me, you know exactly who fucking you are and stand in front of millions of people one-on-one fist fighting a dude for three hours. I know exactly what it takes to sharpen the blade. I know exactly what it's like to perform at the highest level. You don't have to drop me into some fucking magic hole in, yeah. uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland to try to find it. Yeah, that's you know? a great point, though. Such a great point, necessary point. But I mean, maybe for some people, I mean, fucking go like there's boxing gyms, there's MMA place. You can go to jujitsu and get choked out. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, to me, physical confrontation and training and battle is more important than having some guy make me drink something and take me on some fucking fantasy ride. Absolutely. Well, I do Bikram yoga. I teach and take Bikram yoga. You go into that room, it's a hundred It's fucking awful. Degrees. I've done it. It's terrible. You're, you're confronted with every bit of your shit that you could possibly imagine. You think you're going to die. You just want to fucking get up and leave some traumatic memory from your childhood or some fucking thing that pissed you off yesterday. Everything comes up in that place. And there's nowhere for you to go, but just be right there with yourself and confront that shit. And so exactly like you said, there's a million ways to go and do that. And as we know, from a psychological neuroscience standpoint, the only way to change your programming is to come into confrontation with shit that's uncomfortable, adversity, challenge. Yeah. Because that drops you right straight through the subconscious into your, into your belief matrix, which is basically the lens by which you view reality. And through that, when you're confronted with all the shit that bothers you, you have an opportunity to change how you behave and make different decisions. And only through practice can you actually get to a place where you start to change the decisions that you make, you know? And by putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations. Um, so, you know, when it comes to where do I start? I say food. Then you got to move. Then you got to find time and get still. Tune into yourself. Like there's no better practice process for spiritual development, for self-development than becoming as fucking present as you possibly can be. Because every single moment of every day, you're confronted by things that are going to challenge you. And if you can be present and get yourself out of that reactionary state, which most of us are living in, whether it's because you're just constantly in mouth breathing or you've never done anything difficult in your life or whatever it might be, you're living in a state of victimhood. The only way to change who you are is to do it day in, day out, every moment of every day one breath at a time, one step at a time. And, um, you know, so just becoming as present as possible. Um, did you ever, uh, experience any victim, like a victim mentality in the NFL? Um, because what's interesting is I didn't. And then all of a sudden now I hear it a lot more, especially in players and I hear the narratives and maybe it's the media is more pushing it or maybe we have more access, but I feel like, well, I definitely had teammates who were always like, coach hates me. Yeah. 
it's fucking coach's fault. I don't know why coach doesn't play me. And I'm looking at the guy going, dude, you fucking suck. suck. Yeah. You get out there and you don't do shit. Yeah, you look like a freak. But every time you step on the field, you fucking bust the play. So, yeah, no shit the coach doesn't like you. You know, it's pretty simple in football, man. Yeah. Pretty simple. You well, go out there, you do your assignment, you do it really well. Coaches like you. Yeah, well, coaches like winners. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I told Texas story. Uh, we were in... We, we were in the season. They brought in a bunch of guys, you know, typical, you know, like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, bring in Monday, Tuesday, Sunday's big dude. He, I watched him bench. Like, I think he benched like 500 for 10. And then they brought this dude out and he fucking basically, they, uh, he was just, dude looked like a fucking million dollars. He stood straight. Like, I mean, we came <laughs> off the ball. He stood straight up and tried to do this. I like tea kettled him. They cut, <laughs> they cut him mid practice. <laughs> they just and walked him they, off the, the field. Yeah, they just basically, the guy with like, uh, you know. Like At the, what point in the season was this? Uh, man, do they do this all year? Yeah, yeah it, it was during the season. They're bringing guys in send all Send a message to somebody? It was warm. Okay. I just don't remember because I remember we were, we, it was warm. We were outside. And uh, I remember they cut the dude in the middle of practice. I remember like the little, you know, manager assistant dude came over and was like, hey, like basically took the guy by the arm and was like, <laughs> you got to leave. You're going to get hurt. Like, and they cut that guy. And, like, I just always remember being, like, if you can't do this job regardless, like, for safety, whatever, though, they'll get you out of there. But there's people that are able to, you know, politic around it and this and, mm-hmm. you, know, hey, you know, and they want to give chances to. But I, that's what I always loved about the NFL, the simplicity of it. Yeah. Can you do the job? And uh, my wife constantly laughs. She thinks it's funny that um, I tell her that there's a hierarchy in the NFL, that there's players that can play. And then there's, like, the good players. And there's players, you know, there's definitely hierarchy. And then there's a whole bunch of dudes that are dog shit. Yeah. And she's like, well, how do they suck if they're in the NFL? I'm like, because there aren't that many people that can really do this fucking job. Uh-huh. And if they are, you know their names. Oh, there's only yeah. a few of them. Yeah. It's true, man. And there's just a whole lot. And she's like, well, what are they doing? I'm like, they're just warm bodies waiting for fucking superstars to show up. Uh-huh. And they have to have guys that are just keeping the fucking position warm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You wouldn't believe how many guys, I mean, every team I've ever been on, there's there's at least a handful of guys you're looking at them going, how are you here? 53 people yeah. on the team, and they're still yeah. Like, how players. did you get here? Yeah. Whose dick did you suck to get here? Seriously. <laughs> or, and, and you know, like, uh, like I'll just give you an example. Uh, I took a helmet to the shin, break my leg, and I remember them being like, we need you to play. This is three weeks of broken leg. And I remember telling them, we need you to play. And I'm like, so me with a broken leg is better better than my backup who got drafted the same year around ahead of me. And they were like, yes. I was like, holy fuck. And uh, I had to go in there and play. And I remember thinking like, and they were like, okay, well, like, uh, what, what do you want us to trim out of the game plan? So I'm over there making game plan decisions. I'm like, I can't run the ball to my side. I'll cut a guy off stepping on my right, but like maybe pass pro because I'll stay on my inside leg. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. This guy's getting paid too, you know? So that, that was a really weird realization um, that there's guys in like, a, you know, like a, a young guy like Jordan who wasn't ready to play early mm-hmm. on and ended up playing himself into a pretty good position because I think he was around some guys like Willie Rofe and Will. And yeah. He was around some rock stars as a young guy. And played into it, but man, he uh, he had a rough go of his first couple of years, mm. and to see him play into a pretty good position, like that was something I didn't see coming. Uh-huh. But you know what? He, well, I got a question on this because both of you started as rookies. Mm-hmm. So what was that expectation then moving forward? Did you have the same expectation for rookies coming in to play with you? No, you guys no, are ready to start. Not at all. No, 
Definitely not. No, I mean, there were, uh, um, but I'll tell you this, uh, the coaches were always pretty interested when like a young guy could come in who could play. Yeah. Uh, I always remember being like, this, this, this kid can play this game. Yeah. And there, there, it was little things. Like uh, uh-huh. for me, the biggest one was one-on-one pass pro. Yeah. If a young guy came in and he wasn't intimidated and he could win one-on-one pass pro, because what happens for me, I wish life was more like one-on-one pass pro in practice. So what happens is, is that it's usually after fucking team run. Um, what they'll do is we, before we get the, so you, we usually, the first part of practice was all the run stuff. You do nine on seven inside drill, you do all that shit. And then they would, you know, kind of like split practice and then we go to pass. So after team run, we would go to a break and it was usually some like position shit. And then we would go to one-on-ones or, you know, however they broke it up. But for us, we would always go take our reps and then the young guys got to get in there because we had already done all the pass pro shit for pass. And seeing how the young guys reacted in one-on-one pass pro was always really interesting. And if those kids could bow up and fucking stone up and really play in one-on-one pass pro a dude and not give up and like not get beat or not get punked, uh, that was like big for me, especially in training camp when mm. it was fucking hot and hard. Yeah. If the young dudes went in there and stoned a dude, we would go absolutely like, so this was more, like a hype moment. Everybody's watching the pass more, pro. Oh, more yeah. fights came out of spectating <laughs> one-on-one pass pro because all of a sudden a young guy would come out and a dude would like cross his feet and he'd fucking slam him. And I would come running out and I'd fucking be dancing and fucking people would start <laughs> yelling. Oh yeah. I, I was crazy. Like I, I loved it. I lived for that shit and I, I loved it because, and I loved seeing the young guys step up and try to earn a fucking job and a position in that one-on-one moment. Uh-huh. And that was to me, like, if those kids went in there, I was on their team. If they got punked or they fucking got pushed around or got beat and fucking, <clears throat> fucking fell down, I'd be like, fuck that kid, get him out of here. It's as mm-hmm. much so, and then I'd be in your corner, wouldn't. And then the, the people don't realize, as a young dude, if you come in and you play the game hard and the old dudes are, or the, or the veterans are in your corner to the coach and like, yeah. this kid can fucking play, we, we like him, he'll yeah. stay. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Totally true. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but that for me, that one-on-one pass pro was the fucking difference. Yeah. One-on-one pass pro is a big one. Um, it's just, you know, for me, it was always about, because you could tell there are guys who would just go in there and you're like, this guy's scared. Yeah. Just every, every, whatever the drill was, inside run or team run, or, you know, anything. You're just like, you could see it on the guy, how he moves, how he carries himself. You're like, this guy's scared. Did anyone ever call that out to you growing up, whether it was a high school or a college coach? Like if somebody would, let's say, dog it for nine sprints and then bust their ass for the 10th, did they call it. that out? You just see it. Or you, I feel like the I cornerback always... that gets beat and fakes a limp? Uh, well, I saw that a lot. I saw a lot of guys get beat and fucking fake injuries and the limp and shit. At Arizona, I was just, and even in high school, I was always the, the energy center and I could just see it clear as day, guys who were fucking around or not giving it everything they had because I knew that every time, I don't give a fuck what it was, I was just going to give it a thousand percent. I would literally die on the field. That's how hard I was going to go. And even when I got to Jacksonville, one of the, one of the old vets who was a guard, uh, Vinny Manawai, who passed away. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Vinny was an amazing player and... Him and Brad Meester, two vets, they would yeah. look at me and they'd go, Ev, you got to like learn how to chill out a little bit in practice because you're not going to last. Yeah. And they were right, honestly. And I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting balance there yeah. of learning how to take care of yourself in practice and give it and play hard still, you know? 
Yeah, I was never very good at that. There's a um, there's a way to practice, and what happens is when you're a starter against other starters that you know you got to play and you have a relationship with. Normally, what happens is you come off the ball at like eighty five percent and you give a big pop. Yeah. And then everybody fights for position at about 50%. Uh So you got to get off the ball fast because what they're going to do is they're going to turn on the tape, the coaches, and they want to see everybody come off the ball and hit. And they Uh want a big pop. Yeah. And then they need everybody moving their feet and getting into position. And the thing is, is like you have to do it in such a way, whereas then when in the game you go 110%, even though you can't go 110%, you go fucking max intensity, and then you finish the blocks. Like only like like you don't necessarily finish your blocks in practice because the dudes that you're playing against if you finish their blocks people are going to get fucked up yeah Yeah. and you like at the end of the day there's nothing worse than like even though i make fun of defensive linemen i know those i need those guys to go play yeah Yeah. so if they get hurt in practice because i'm a fuckhead yeah then they don't play on sunday and that hurts me yeah so like it's a little different in training camp like I, i looked at training camp like fucking let the bodies hit the floor and we'll fucking pack them up. So like it was a hundred percent at all time. But the minute you get into a situation where all of a sudden you get that final cut and you remember final cut happens yeah. and you walk out on the field and it looks like a special teams practice. Cause nobody are like, where'd they go? It was like, they got stolen. Mm-hmm. And, um, then you come out and you realize these are the motherfuckers that we're going to have to play for the next 17 weeks with 18 weeks now. And, uh, you got to not only like give a hard, like a good step, hard look, but you got to get them to Sunday so me being a fucking asshole isn't going to help us. Yeah. So like it was always like big pop, come off the ball and then fight to get in position, but not at a hundred percent where all of a sudden you're trying to like one arm a dude and fucking go down and cut him or doing a bunch of fucked up shit, <laughs> you know? So it was always like big pop and then fucking get to yeah. position. So that's like the, uh, like I'll just give you an example too. When I was at the, uh, at, at the Eagles, I was playing against and I cannot fucking remember his name for the life of me. But, um, he was the big dude that played opposite uh, Ted Washington. Uh-huh. And uh, it'll come to me in a second. But uh, he was a real, real big dude. But his name was Sam. Oh, yeah. Um, Adams. Yeah, Sam Adams. Yeah. So he had tiny little feet. Uh-huh. Right? So he Gigantic had like, dude. Gigantic, yeah. like, like 360-pound dude. But he had yeah. more like a size 9, size 10. <laughs> so he had these little tiny feet. <laughs> so if you could get off the ball and get angle, and if you could get him running... You knew he couldn't stay up, so then I'd give him a shove and he would fall yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, we were playing down there, and uh, he, like, uh, like I came off, and we were fucking battling, and he was like, yo, man, like, my feet are really hurting. Like, like you know, like, uh, not necessarily brother-in-law with me, because I, I didn't do it, but I also knew, like, uh, I wasn't fucking finishing blocks the way I should, but he allowed me to get into position, which was fine. And so, uh, like, normally I would have tried to road grade him and tried to fuck him up, and I didn't. I just, like, got in a position. We had a nice run. Everything was fine. He he wasn't unhappy about it. Nobody's unhappy. And then in fucking practice, our offensive coordinator, um, Brad Childress, comes over to me, and he's like, hey, I was just watching film, and I saw you not finish that fucking block. And he starts motherfucking me on not finishing this block. And I'm like, God damn it. The one time I didn't want to fucking – because he's this nice dude, and and I knew – so it was like this weird thing, and I got called out, and this motherfucker, Chili, who's such a piece of shit as a human being, went to uh, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota and was such he's a cock face. I hope he's listening to this. He's a fucking what? piece of shit. Was this public, or did he, like, single you out privately? Singled me out in practice. So public? Yeah. Like, in front of the team? When, uh, you know, you, he's like, you always fucking, you know, uh, uh, you know, tough guy bullshit all the time. You could have fucking road graded that guy and humiliated him. And I was like, fuck you. You never played this fucking game. And so, like, there were, 
I mean, I, I also told you about the story where I threw that, uh, I can't remember his name, he was big D tackle, played for the Redskins. Um, I finished him over the pile. Like we were running, the thing went, and I fucking launched him over the pile. Ainsworth? Uh, Anglesworth? That's what I was calling him. Uh, I can't remember the dude's name. I'll have to look it up. But I finished him over the pile and had a nice hit on him. And then we went back and he uh, he started praying. That was the guy I was telling oh, you. Was that was, that I was sure Ainsworth. I don't ever tell you this story. But we were playing the skins and I was fucking beating on this dude. And he looked like King Kong. And he didn't want to play that day. And then all of a sudden I did like I was finished him after the play. Fucking hit him. Like dove over the pile at him. And all of a sudden we're like walking back and all of a sudden I can hear this person fucking invoking the Lord, quoting scripture. And I look over my shoulder and he's pointing at me fucking praying, like, like quoting scripture at me, like, you know, fucking jewels from uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. And Trey's like, what the fuck, dude? He's praying for And I'm like, fuck his fat ass. Fuck your fat ass. And I start talking shit to him. And so all of a sudden we're going to run like uh, I was playing left guard. So we were running like little 92 inside fucking inside uh, right off the right guard. And he's lining up head on on me. Come off the ball. He fucking runs basically through my head, buckles me to the ground and tackles the uh, ball carrier for one yard loss. (laughs) And I'm like, nice fucking, you know, basically like lucky shot, lucky shot again. And he's still praying. And Trey's like, dude, you better make good with him. He's fucking good. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Same play on two. Fucking another one hits me. <laughs> fucking now all of a sudden it's like, you know, fucking fourth and seven and we got a punt. And uh, all of a sudden, like, um, I'm like, God damn it. So we're going off. And he's like, I me. And I was like, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. I shouldn't have tried to do that. And he was like, okay, we're good. And he like pats me on the head and stopped praying at me. And then he went back to just sucking. <laughs> but, uh, and which was fine. And then I realized if a dude's having a bad day, you don't go and fucking kick the fucking sleeping dog. Yeah. So I realized like that was a real interesting moment for me that like sometimes, and that's what played into it. Uh-huh. I knew that dude's feet were hurting yeah. and he didn't want to fucking play that day. So yeah. I wasn't about to fucking do something stupid yeah. that forced him to bow up and try to fucking kill me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Brad Childers and I felt like telling him, I'm like, Hey man, if a dude doesn't win, cause this used to happen. Like there were guys like, uh, I can think of numerous times there was a dudes that were going to give you maybe one out of every 20 plays hard. You just had to know which one was going to be hard. Yeah. And then there were certain dudes that didn't want to play that day. And all you had to do was kind of go out and brother-in-law him a little bit and like not make him look bad. Because if you make him look bad, he's going to have to reach into the bag and try to fucking pull out a little bit of courage. And then you got a hell of a fucking day on your hands. Yeah. So that, that dude taught me. And then when that dude's like, man, my feet are hurting, dude, don't make me look bad. And I was like, you know what? Right, man. I'm just going to get into position and not make you look bad. I'm not going to kill you, but I don't need you to make a play. And we did. And then I got fucking called out on it. And I felt like saying to fucking children, so I'm like, hey, dude, let me explain to you how the NFL works from your fucking ivory tower up there, you piece of shit. And uh, we got into it. And I fucking called him a piece of shit. And he started yelling at me. And I fucking threatened to kill him, I think. I, I should have. Um, and then they had to break us up in this. And I was like, dude. I was like, I won every block on there. The dude didn't make a play. <laughs> that was, was children. like, hold me back. Somebody hold me back. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> hiding this. He's like, all like this. He was, he was barking at my ankles like a little fucking rat dog. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. You have a bunch of dudes that never played the fucking game yeah, like that in problem. positions. Whereas I played for guys like, you know, Ron Rivera and these other dudes that played a long time. Yeah. And they were real smart on this shit. And like, I remember Ron being like, hey, man, if a fucking dude's having a bad day, let him have a bad day. Don't do something that fucking forces him to not have a bad day. Yeah. That's what I loved about Jack, Jack Del Rio, Andy Heck. These guys just had, you yeah. know, they knew what was up. Man. Yeah, they played the game. Yeah. I live I live uh, right between Burbank and the Hollywood Hills. Um, 
So I'm right there what, in the uh, midst of it. What street? Where at? On Barham Boulevard, oh, yeah. right? But I know right where that is. Yeah, Universal yeah, yeah. and Warner Brothers. And yeah, no, I did. I, I used to, uh, my, my boy Rick used to live in Toluca Lake. Uh, so I used oh, to get, yeah, yeah, right so, there. Yeah, right. I know exactly where you're at. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, and, you know, it, it's good. My 10-year-old daughter's real close by. My mom and my brother are real close by. Nice. So it's beautiful, man. I mean, it's... I'm definitely in this place where I'm seeking more and more solitude and getting out of LA at some point is, is a big part of my, my life vision. You, maybe you could said. have a ranch here in Texas. Dude, <laughs> that's, that's definitely on uh, in my mind's eye. So getting some land, getting out to a place where I'm a little more secluded and, um, you know, I've got a little more solitude is definitely where I, where I'm going, but it's, it's home for now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do miss California just cause I miss my family. I mean, yeah. I, I grew up in PV and it's still to this day, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. It truly is. I mean, I drive around LA, spend a lot of time in Malibu out at the beach and yeah. you know, it's hard to, it's hard to find the ocean mountains in the same place. Yeah. So close together. You, know? hey, you can get up and surf and drive to Mammoth. I, uh, exactly. So years ago when I was living in Newport, um, I got reached out to by Hollywood, uh, like a movie house about training an actor for a movie. Uh-huh. And uh, they were all like kind of like, you know, you go through all these NDAs and they don't tell you who it is. And uh, the guy lived up in like Malibu area. So they wanted me every, every day to go train him. And I was like, no problem. I just rent me a place. I'll live in Malibu. And then they were super cheap and they didn't want to do it. So I ended up kind of balking on the whole thing. And then all of a sudden it comes out that it's Superman uh, and Henry hey, Cavill and then uh-huh. used our training stuff for CrossFit football to get him in shape for the Superman. And I'm like, fuck. God damn. I was like, if only. And I was like, when I was talking to him, I was like, just rent me a shitty place in Malibu because there are no shitty places in Malibu. Yeah. I want to live up um, because there's no way I can drive from Newport to Malibu yeah. every day to be there by 6 a.m. Yeah. And, a 4 a.m. wake oh, up. Oh, Jesus. At, if least. That, at, at least. And uh, But yeah, I always like regret it. I'm like, man, we could have trained Superman. I could have lived in Malibu for a little bit. Did, did CrossFit ever make its way into like the NFL training that you did? Uh, not for me personally. I definitely have done it since and enjoy it. Um, and I think some guys were really getting into CrossFit. Um, but for me, coming out of football, it was really, I mean, I love lifting weights and I love doing hot yoga and those have become my my jam and there's nothing wrong with that yeah i like lifting weights and i like uh doing a little bit of fucking fight and a little bit of condition yeah, yeah the when i i did an internship at ut football uh-huh. 2013 and Ke- uh, kenny vaccaro he was pro by now he came back and one conversation that we had he didn't know i was with cross football power athlete and his i guess uh just venting a little bit about his experience conditioning with the saints oh, would fuck. be their conditioning tests were these different cross well, yeah. his, his biggest thing was, like, he was a first-round pick. He was a dude on the team, but then there was, uh, I guess, dudes on the fringe that were going to get cut, training camp dudes that would just go make the pros look bad. Like, they would ball right. balls out on the, the conditioning tests. Well, I heard about that. Hold against here's, here's the problem. Um, like, they never handed out contracts based on off-season fucking training. Right. And any team that does, doesn't have, like, I remember I, I never once trained uh, in an off-season with any of the teams because they never gave me an off-season workout deal. Uh-huh. They were like, we know you're going to show up in shape. And I'm like, well, fuck you. If you don't give me money, I'm not staying here. Yeah. And they were like, hey, you know, you missed all your workouts. And I'd be like, that's fine. 
I'll miss every workout and I'm going to show up. I'm going to win every conditioning test. I'll win every, anything you fucking put out because I'm going to show up in better shape than anybody else. Yeah. And I did for my entire career. And so what, what's wild is uh, they'd be like, oh, so-and-so made 98% of his workouts. That dude got cut in second week. <laughs> All those dudes always got cut. And they always thought they could make a team in the off-season workouts. And at the end of the day, you know how you make the team? But being a good fucking football player yeah. and doing Fran and Diane and all these fucking girl workouts, at the end of the day, sub, uh, you know, uh, like, what is it? Like, uh, um, I'm going to fuck this one. I'm going to let you just God damn the it, wind You here. know exactly what I'm going to say. Constantly but varying sub, functional movements performed sub, at a high intensity. <laughs> Submaximal sub efforts done in the time domains in which they're asking you to do cause a f- conversion of fast twitch muscle fibers to slow twitch mm. muscle fibers for you to be able to handle that amount of sustained work for the given time period. Mm-hmm. So effectively putting football players into 15 to 20 minute aerobically, anaerobic, whatever you want to call it, but they're really aerobic based workouts. You have to have that literally fast twitch muscle fiber convert to a slow twitch for them to have the sustained output to be able to handle that for 15 minutes, let's mm-hmm. say or 20 minutes. Right, like that's the Charlie Francis where you're either running 92 plus or you're at 75 percent. There is no training in that mo- no man's land. So all we saw mm. do to football players was make them fucking slower, uh-huh. and you lost the ability to generate force in those, you know, in the ATP energy phase. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. And I told them this, and the Saints still fucking went and did it, and they didn't, and they they pretty much they when the Saints reached out to CrossFit. They reached out to me and I told them this and you know what they did? They just fucking pivoted and went and did it anyway. And I'm like, this would be the end of their fucking team. And it was. You saw that one kid that uh, Matt Chan was training. Remember the kid, the running back for uh, Denver Broncos? I do. Moreno, and, maybe? Yeah. yeah. No Sean. Yeah. No Sean Moreno. Uh-huh. Went, and, went and trained with this CrossFit dude. He was a good dude by any means. He won uh, the Rocks fucking deal. And I mean, knows what he's doing in terms of CrossFit. But I remember he reached out and I'm like, don't, don't cross this kid. Don't, I mean, don't CrossFit. Singles, doubles, triples, heavy lifts, sprint, fucking rin- rinse and repeat. You know, he did, he crossed him, and that kid got his fucking ass so far out of the NFL, he couldn't even fucking see the fucking field. Yeah. Yeah, he he went, He was an incredible player, and he didn't yeah. last very long, nope. did he? No. I mean, mm-hmm. it, he's, he's like everybody, where you look at it, and you think, ah, oh, well, what if I, like, because the CrossFit stuff, when they originally pitched it for me, made sense, this idea of creating a large base of GPP, the problem is, is that the you have to understand that general physical preparedness is like creating like a big aerobic base, which happens in other ways mm-hmm. than like doing CrossFit, which is in that fucking middle zone, high glycolytic deal. Football doesn't play in that. Right. It's, uh, you know, you got to have a big, strong aerobic system so you can keep recovering for maximal efforts over and over again, which right. is, you know, uh, five to seven seconds every 90 seconds for anywhere from like three to 18 different bouts over a course of three hours. And you're going to be at that max intensity once a week. So when you look at the time domains, it doesn't make sense. You know, uh, assault bike Super sprints. interesting. Assault bike sprints are a better fucking indicator. Like doing Tabata t- assault bike sprints are a way better fucking indicator than doing CrossFit. Mm. But if you want to look good naked and, and, you know, if you're a middle-aged person and you want to like train good, you know. Head like, to powerathletehq.com yeah. for training. For training. And find the appropriate <laughs> training program way for better. your goal. But uh, <laughs> CrossFit has done more to get people weights in people's hands. And I think as a methodology for what they're doing, it makes sense. But when you start fine-tuning it for athleticism and sport performance it's it, it doesn't fucking play uh-huh and if that's what you're training for athleticism and sports performance <laughs> head to powerathletehq.com slash training do you, do you remember in uh was it oceans 12 or oceans 11 you remember where he comes out with the nose and he's like remember that like uh, matt damon's got the fake nose on he's like the nose plays yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. like no it doesn't the nose doesn't play i'm like when, whenever i think about it i'm like that doesn't play it's like it's like matt damon's fake nose it might doesn't have been play. 12 
They they just got really. Clothes. I don't remember. They should have just called them something else. They sucked. The Ocean's Eleven. Well, no, all, I thought the movies were good, but the problem is, is that they were trying to go off of the Danny Ocean, Frank Sinatra stuff, the Rat Packs, which they should have just called it something else. Mm. It's yeah. like that terrible, like when they tried to remake uh, Red Dawn. With, uh, oh, yeah, I didn't uh, even see that. It was Hemsworth. So good call. Bad. So good call. They yeah. should I, I watched it. <laughs> and I, they should have just called it something else. That way I wouldn't have to fucking. Well, that's the they same just with pissed Point all Break. Over fucking Patrick Swayze's grave. Oh, Point Break, dude. They could have called it why Breaking did they Point. Try to, why did they remake that? <laughs> there's, uh, there's certain institutions that you don't pull down. Yeah, you don't like, fucking do don't, that. Don't remake any given Sunday. No. And well, Roadhouse is next up. Jake Gyllenhaal is playing Stop. Dalton. Oh, it's and uh, Connor McGregor is his sidekick. What? He's yeah. playing uh, um, Patrick Swayze. No, no. Who's what? Yeah, uh, Connor McGregor's just like a uh, or, uh, a bouncer. Oh, but I was Swayze thinking, is Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Who's playing Wade Garrett? I don't know. I thought that was Connor McGregor. It's probably going to be. There's no. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is McGregor's senior. You can need an old, crusty dude that, you know, knows how to fight to play the the Sam Elliott. Yeah. And they have to have great hair. Like, yeah, yeah, he did. I can't hair. wait for Jake Gyllenhaal to get a mullet. I do like Jake Gyllenhaal. He was in that uh, fighter movie, uh, the boxing one. Was it called The Fighter? Uh, Southpaw. Southpaw. No, The Fighter's uh, Christian Bale and yeah, Mark Marky Wahlberg. Mark. Uh, yeah, the one that I liked was Southpaw. That was good. He he looked the fucking part, and he's actually, um, you know, I, I mean, the way they the cinematography presented him is having fight skills. So that's a hard thing with like fight movies, uh-huh. like like they. I mean, uh, shit, the the Rocky stuff with uh, Michael B. Jordan, he did great. I mean, uh-huh. I mean the the choreo- they choreographed it, but Stallone's so fucking good on that fight stuff. I mean, dude, think about all the experience he has with all the Rockies. I mean, for him as like the fight coordinator and the people they brought in did such a good job. Yeah. Rocky's a masterpiece. I mean. Oh, what's your favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie of all time? So this is a big thing for offensive linemen because offensive linemen historically are usually pretty big. There's a lot of movie quotes. Our entire days are spilled with movie quotes. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I have to say my favorite movie of all time is The Big Lebowski. Oh, uh, all right. Uh, nice. Yeah. We do quote that one a lot. Yeah. Like, this is for league play, Donnie. <laughs> no, Donnie. These men are... Ca- no, what, what does he look at me? He goes, no, no. Uh, uh, Donnie, are these they going to hurt cowards. us? He's like, no, no, Donnie. These men are cowards. Yeah. Like, it's fucking great. <laughs> it's the best. It's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 high, it's highly quotable. The F quotable. word is within every 16 seconds or something. Is crazy. it? Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> I should know that. I've only seen it about a thousand times. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of great fucking scenes in that. Yeah. What about football movie? Football movie? It's, it's really tight between any given Sunday and North Dallas 40. Mm. Wow. Old school. Yeah. Yeah. I remember right. I had just had shoulder surgery. So I was getting a lot of time at home and I saw North Dallas 40 for the first time and I was like, that's my fucking life. Yeah. That's my fucking life right there. Uh, I like Revenge of the Nerds as a football movie. <laughs> still to this You're day. Reaching. Uh, still to this day, one of my favorite movies is Revenge of the Nerds, and I love it, so I'll get it anything. But I got to go program or Any Given Sunday. And the reason being, when I was a rookie, when Any Given Sunday came out, and my mom and dad and my girlfriend at the time, we went to go see it. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, they're like looking at me, and I'm like, 
I don't play on this fucking team, but I want to know where it is because I want to play on this fucking team. The dude takes the fucking saw cutter and cuts the car in half. Yeah. They're like having strippers at the games. Yeah, at LT. Like, uh, man. Legendary but, movie. Uh, so Sean Landetta, who was our punter uh, when I was at the Eagles, had played uh, on all those teams with Parcells and them. He was like in year 24 when I was a rookie. Crazy. And so Landetta was, uh, um, was LT's fucking sidekick. Cause he didn't drink and do any drugs. He uh -huh. just was all into, into chasing ass uh -huh. and LT did all the Coke and all the drugs. Uh -huh. <laughs> and when you do that much Coke, there's girls everywhere. So, um, he was basically his DD, his designated driver, Oh my God. wherever they went. And so he used to tell me, and so like, you know, uh, like we, we, cause I would always, this is, this is wild too. Uh, I would always ask Landetta, like, you know, he'd be like, he's, he was real twitchy. He'd always be like, Hey boss. And he'd always kind of like pull his shirt shoulder. Like, Hey boss, Hey boss. He'd be like, Hey boss. Uh, you know, and he always did contrast. He'd always go like uh -huh. two in the hot, three in the cold. And he'd go back and forth. And I, I remember one day I asked him, I'm like, Hey, what's, uh, what's this deal? And he's like, Hey, when I was a kid in New York city, he grew up in the city. They used to go to this uh, health club. Uh, all the old, you know, like these old Jewish guys would used to go to this health club and they would all go in like, uh, um, like the, um, uh, the steam room and they would come out and they would get into this like ice cold tub. It was in the ground. They called it cold plunge. Mm. And he goes, so they would basically go back and forth and they told me it was the longevity. It was the secret to longevity for life. Mm. So Landetta's like, I did it as a kid, I still do it. So I figured this guy played 20 plus years. So I would go do two in the hot, three in the cold, and I would go back and forth anywhere from like, if I had time, it was, you know, 10 times. If I, if I didn't have time, it was three, but I did contrast every single day of my NFL career. Wow. To the point where like I, you know, I do it in the shower. Like if I wasn't mm -hmm. at the facility, I would get ice. And I, and so what's hilarious now is now all these people are doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, Landetta told me that in 1999. And so to this day, you know, you see people get in the cold and they're having all these like emotional experiences. I can get in and I have zero shiver response. Uh -huh. So like I'll get in our pool when it's like 30 degrees for like 10 minutes That's and get best. out and no shiver response. I'm like, you're broken. I'm like, no, I'm cold adapted. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Lindetta was um, the stories he would tell us about LT. Oh, my God. Like he'd be like come on like I'd be, I'd be like okay tell us the one about when you were driving in his Porsche and the chick blew cocaine everywhere like so he, he had these three girls in his Porsche they were snorting blow Lindetta's driving something happens and the coke goes everywhere and they get pulled over and Lindetta's like the guy walks up it's LT there's three like naked girls there's cocaine everywhere and he's in a red Porsche and the cop pulls up on him and is like what's going on and he's like he's like basically the cop let me drive away Lind, yeah. uh, uh, LT bought a strip club and had it moved next door to the Meadowlands so he had a place to go in between meetings oh my god <laughs> like uh, the stories dude were so amazing Insane. but yeah there's they're, they're, I, I got a couple I'll probably tell you off camera just because yeah. we don't want them to know but um, yeah like that was like the people that we were steeped in when I was yeah. a young dude so there was this like little bit of rock and roll dude. and I only imagine if social media had existed when LT oh my god he would have absolutely slayed the fucking internet do you feel <laughs> LT's era like the the those offensive linemen would be saying the same thing about your game no because I I went and had drinks with Jumbo Elliott who played at that time and uh, we went out. It was with Lonnie Paolet, who was an older guy. And I was a young dude. was like, hey, man, I'm picking you up. We're going up to New York City. We're going to go out with Jumbo. And we went out with Jumbo. And uh, he was, like, fucking big, old, and salty. And, uh, like, the game, because I asked him on that. Like, you know, like, there, it was wild. The game was played a certain way. 
and it played right up into the point where all of a sudden people started killing themselves and then everything changed. Like, like, like I think the game was pretty consistent for how like the expectation and I got a chance to see some of those guys and I know how we played the game. And then all of a sudden we like got fined like 35,000 in preseason for taking late hits around the pile. That was a big change where all of a sudden you're like, fuck, I just played the whole training camp for free. Uh, so that happened in like, like the, like Oh three Oh four. And then all of a sudden we saw this, like all of a sudden I got a letter that I was going to have to go to counseling. Cause I had uh because of like some late hits and some shit that I was showing a history of violence. And like all of a sudden that stuff where like, you know, and then all of a sudden that fucking year hit the CBA and all of a sudden it changed. And then that's when the game changed. So I think that there was like, they saw a little bit of this stuff coming, but it was still there. And then all of a sudden it changed. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's a, a meme going around or at least a video of 1975 or something like that. CBS highlights of the NFL. Mm. It's, it's just awesome hits. So uh, this was wild. So when uh, I was a young dude, um, when we would, so th- th- this is also another really interesting thing. So when I first came in the NFL, we never came out for the national anthem. So I, I always remember we were in, the, we would come off pregame and they would do all the national anthem stuff and we were always in the locker room and then we came out and then after 9-11, they brought us out and we had to like hold the flag and shake it. Mm-hmm. And then that's when all of a sudden the, uh, the army or the military, the government paid the NFL to, right, to right. become America's game. And then we came out with the flag and honored the fucking, uh, you know, all the soldiers, I mean, and all, all that stuff. But that happened after 9-11. So when people started kneeling and they were like, why are they, you know, I'm like, we were never out. Like, like I remember distinctly being in the locker room, hearing the national anthem, hearing the jets fly over and then getting in the locker room and running out. So we were never on the field for that. That's really interesting. Yeah, we were always on the field for it. Yeah. And then it changed after yeah. 9-11. Mm. I mean, I also remember calling, going to play New York Giants after 9-11, driving through, driving to the Meadowlands and not seeing the Twin Towers, and then coming in, seeing all the like uh, cops and military in full battle fatigues because they were storing the bodies in the, in the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. We showed up to play. I mean, so, I mean, some historic shit we got to play in. It, it, was, uh, it was an amazing time, but um, I, think, I think that there was just a, um, like, you so just and when we talked about the NFL, you know, money and the situation, I mean, at the end of the day, they're a media company uh-huh. and everything's based upon branding and imagery. So when you have NFL players writing suicide notes and shooting themselves in the chest saying, I shot myself in the chest because I need somebody to look at my brain. Yeah. Please take my brain again. If something is wrong. Like you can't like, like yeah. it, it, it like it makes me want to cry. And like, I'm literally like uh, fucking want to cry inside for the fact that like these guys like, can, like, and I, I, this has never happened to me, so I can't have a hard time conceptualizing it. But being imagine being a prisoner in your own mind mm. to the point so bad that the only way I know how to get out of this is to kill myself. But I'm not going to shoot myself in the face because this I know this is broken. So I'm cognitive enough, disassociated enough to know that this is broken and I need them to find out why so they can help other people. That's like, like, yeah, like when you think about it like that, That's like fucking. it's it's. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. Like, it fucking brings tears to my eyes yeah. to think that, like, you're cognizant enough to know, but you can't... Something's wrong. That something's wrong, but you can't find your way out of the maze, and they're not doing anything to help you out of that maze. Mm-hmm. And so I think the one thing that we've tried to do on this podcast, and anybody reaches out to me, is like, yo, man, like, if you got problems, like, 
let me show you like there's 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 a recipe for this thing on how and you know yeah you, you did the walk and you found it yeah you know what worked for you but the thing I get worried about is when people stop at one and this fixes everything yeah which was kind of like Kyle with the with the cannabis where mm -hmm. I'm like yo man this is just one small piece like mm -hmm. don't like continue to do all this stuff continue to work out continue to eat continue to this like just don't think that this is going to cure everything from athlete's foot to fucking world hunger yeah what's your eating like now so for me I've really transitioned to pretty carnivore they like animal based i eat fruit yeah. i occasionally eat some rice and potatoes so uh you're gonna laugh at this when i was a rookie in the nfl the guy that did my diet was a guy named maro de pasquale mm. and he wrote a book called the anabolic diet uh-huh and it's pretty much the same diet i've eaten for my entire nfl and through my entire life it's based upon meat uh it's pretty much a um a paleo diet uh-huh and uh, it's always been uh, kind of a cyclical ketogenic where you go low carb okay. and there's carb refeeds. Uh, I got uh, nutrient testing done really early in the NFL career and found out that I was lactose, had some issues with, with milk and also uh -huh. gluten. Mm -hmm. So I've been gluten free since 1999. Me too. So, I mean, I, I like <laughs> on occasion I've eaten pizza and some other things. I can't say that like yeah. during my NFL career I was 100%, but I've pretty much been 99.9% .9 gluten free for as long as since I've been retired. Amazing. Um, but I eat majority of my protein comes from animal based proteins. I eat a ton of steak and meat and chicken and fish. And then, uh, yeah. I do, I do love, I love apples. Mm. Like the crunchiness of an uh -huh. apple to love me is, apple. yeah, it's like, like, uh, like the, the apple a day keeps a doctor away. I'm 100% like, and I think it's the crunchiness. Um, I've never been a big sweets guy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, like my kids like ice cream and on occasion we have some of that, but that's not really my jam. Mm -hmm. Candy's not my jam. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like fruit. I, uh, believe me, like when I looked at the carnivore stuff and I, I, I do like, uh, Saladino's evolution in uh -huh. like meat, fruit, honey and that, like, I think he's a little off base on the plants are fucking evil. Right. Um, so I can't buy into that. Well, well, again, it's that thing of you get locked into a dogma. Yeah. It becomes your dogma yeah. and then you're trapped by it. Well, and, and we, <laughs> we've always eaten organ meats. I, uh -huh. I like, I uh, fucking love pate. Mm. Uh, there's a place called Salt and Time here downtown. I went there yesterday. Did you? Oh, I was there. Night. I was there yesterday. Last night for dinner. Uh, I went into their butcher shop and I got, they have beef pate. Uh-huh. Uh, um, if you go up to where their, their meat counter is, like okay. their meat's here to the right, they have all these different pates. So what I'll do is I'll get a quarter pound of like all of them. Uh-huh. And uh, dude, I, I eat them like Sundays. I'll get like a quarter pound of pate, a steak. And uh, like, that's my deal. I take my that kids in there. phenomenal. So yeah, it's making me salivate. But uh, <laughs> so I, I, I've always eaten organ meats. So like now all these people eat organ meats, but I, I do like liver and pate. Um, I ate a ton of meat and uh, we've always sourced our meat from like local places. Um, when I was in Kansas City, I knew a girl whose dad was a rancher and used to get us steaks. And so Amazing. I've always done that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I also know like I do like cruciferous vegetables and I like fiber and, uh -huh. you know, but for the most part, like, um, you know, the old power lifter that trained me in high school said nobody ever got strong eating out of a vending machine. One ingredient, which was the Vince Garanda, you know, Stone Age diet, which is the paleo diet, which is the same diet that Mauro de Pasquale always told me to eat. Uh -huh. So. I mean, when I met Rob, when I met Rob Wolf in 2008, he started talking about the paleo diet. I'm like, Oh no, no I'm a Mario de Pasquale guy. And Rob's head fucking exploded. <laughs> so, uh, like that's, and I know yeah. guys in the NFL probably thought I was a little weird, but that's how I've always eaten. Uh huh. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But I mean like the carnivore stuff, I'm like, yeah, the, the majority of my calories do come from meat. Yeah. I just figured that's how fucking big, strong fucking men eat. Yeah, exactly. You just eat real food. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, like, like there's very few things more primal than cooking meat on an open fire. That's the best. You know? But yeah, that's great. I'm glad you went to Salt and Time. I fucking love that place. Oh my God. It was phenomenal, man. They, they, have, they have a charcuterie board. Got that. <sighs> phenomenal. Dude, so I, I'll take my kids there. And uh, so it was the last Sunday we went and we'll just get the charcuterie board where we, where we shop. And so I'll let them and those savages eat everything. And then we get me to come home love and cook. That. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was fantastic. Nice. Yeah, so, man. So what, what, what were you doing in town? Um, I, was, I was coming in town to teach yoga and breath work at this wellness event called Runga. Nice. Um, and then I just, I've got a lot of friends here now. And I just this like This has kind of become here. the epicenter of shit, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Austin's got a lot of dope things happening. Um, so I just came, yoga, doing podcasts. You hit me up. Kyle's been telling me I got to come out and see you anyway. Yeah. And we had connected and I really wanted to come and, and do this with you guys and and also, I'd love next time, definitely want to come and get a workout in. Sure. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, and, and any jiggy shit you did, we're always open for new age spiritual stuff. So I'm always down to try that. anything. I love that. Um, yeah, man. So uh, I'm just becoming, I've, I've become, I've always been a big fan of Texas, but more and more so lately. It's, you know, as California has become a little bit of a weird. Well, if, if you drive around this area, specifically this hill country, uh-huh. it feels like uh, Santa Inez, Central it California. Does. Yeah. Like everybody, I love the hill country, man. Well, everybody from California, like you kind of drive around and you're like, I could be in Laguna Beach. Yeah. Like it feels like, uh, you know, that kind of area. It's, totally. It's super familiar. Yeah. It's very familiar. That's what I say every time I come here. It's something very familiar to me about this place. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm glad to be here and it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks for taking the time to come on Power Athlete Radio, dude. It was awesome to connect, and uh, I'm so stoked we got a chance to sit here. And Me too. Where can people go to follow, podcast, book, social, all that good stuff? Uh, you could, my website, ebbinbritain.com, basically has links to everything. Check me out on Instagram at edsbritain. Um, that's, that's mostly everything I do is there. I'm doing an event in Venice, November 5 and 6, yoga, breath work, ice tubs. Nice. Um, check that out. Get all those links and my socials, my book, The Ebb and Flow, Basic Tools to Transform Your Life. It's on Amazon. Also, the audio book is available on Audible and Apple Books. So. Sweet. Do you read it? Yeah, I do. Nice. Awesome. He's got a good voice. People like listening to deep voices. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.